and welcome. This is the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. My name is Brian Vitali, and we're back to the normal podcast size this week. For once, I have joining me today, Josh Torres. Beware the Ides of March. Yeah, it's one full week of March down uh, for this podcast. I've got Adam Vitali. Hello, guys. And joining us, I think potentially for the first time, we've got Chow Min Wu. Hey, how's it going? No, it's good to have you on. It's good to have different, you know, people on, so we can get you know some different people who have played different things. I heard you're deep into Genshin Impact, and I like yeah, to actually kind of hear like uh, what's coming up for that game because we haven't had a lot of time to do, do, devote to the podcast for it. So, yeah, I, I fell off Genshin for a few months ago, so you're the only one who's really keeping up with it. Well. Moment. Yeah, I guess I could say it's like there's a new patch coming out pretty soon, which is uh, version 1.4. Um, I feel like they're pretty. Oh, I guess we can go, like, we'll go right into it. Why not? So yeah, yeah. Normally like we are. Uh, yeah, so uh, we'll normally open up the podcast to say like it's been a bit of a quiet week. So compared to the last, like last week, we had a whole bunch of niche Japanese RPGs and dungeon RPGs to talk about. Before that, we had like Nintendo Directs, Pokemon. Uh, stony set of play final fantasy stuff this week it seems like things have finally simmered down a bit so we'll have a chance to fill in the gaps with all the stuff that did come out we'll spend some time to talk about genshin because why not and we'll just kind of see like where the conversation takes us so since we've already kind of no since we've already kind of you know tripped over the line let's go into a genshin impact so this game is a game that i followed kind of as an outsider with not really a desire to play i think it's kind of cool to see like how much staying power it's had so I'm curious like, to see, like, what is the state of Genshin Impact and how is it going? Like right now, a few months, uh, several like, months after launch. I feel like the state of the game is not in a perfect state. It's still kind of new. Um, the game has um has a still has the resin problem. If you've been playing since the beginning, uh, these are like the limited that. like resources. The the like uh, there's a, a um a, like Pick a stamina us. system yeah, in, in the game. Up. It's like you know, like in gacha RPGs, where if you want to do this stage, you'll consume this much of uh, stamina, and then you'll have to like wait real lifetime for it to slowly refill. That's that's a similar mechanic in Genshin, where normally you can play the game without having to worry about this, this system, but there are certain aspects of it, like uh, boss runs or dungeons uh, and whatnot, that that'll consume that resource, and then once you're that's depleted, you can no longer engage with that activity until. Yeah, well, yeah. the thing is in Genshin is you still can engage in the activity. You just don't get any loot. <laughs> so oh, yeah, you need... it, it, all right. You expend it when you uh, try to claim rewards, right? If I remember correctly. Yes, uh, you basically have to redeem with resin in order to get your rewards, and uh, right. this fills in extremely slow. Uh, about one resin uh, per every eight minutes. So you need about sixty for a world boss, uh, twenty for instance, and. They added a new mechanic where you can exchange 40 of them to condense the resin and you can use it at any time. Uh, you can only use, uh, you can only make three of them and the new patch is supposed to, you could store up to five. So maybe that might be a game changer, but I don't know. It's, it's weird that they're so reluctant of like, kind of just, why, why cap it so like it's such a limited number like i, I think it's probably because they didn't have enough content so they just want to like well i don't want the player to get too far ahead of themselves so we'll just cap the resin and i don't think it's a great idea i feel like they should let the player just do whatever they want because they don't have enough content 
there's also still growing pains because it launched for those these two big regions, the Mondstadt and Liyue region. And since then, they added like a new zone called like the Dragon Spine, and that was like a snowy area. Yeah, I believe. Um, yeah, did they add anything in, else? Uh, no, no new areas. Uh, they added um, in version one point three, they added uh, something called the Lantern Right uh, event, where you're just like everyone's just like uh. I have a wish that I want to make, and they like write some kind of their wish in their lanterns, and you try to do like a fetch quest for them. And and I'm not really a fan of it, but some people are. They're like, oh well, this does a bigger world building for Leiue, you know. And I'm like, okay, whatever, right? <laughs> but it's like NPCs that you don't really interact with a lot, unless unless you're like so invested in the lore and want to know all the NPCs, then you probably think this is the best side quest ever, right? Hmm. And and people were talking something about that it recently got I don't know if it was a limited time mode like some sort of tower defense. Yeah, it, it comes with a, a tower defense mode. Um, basically, you talk to one of the characters or one NPCs there. She said that oh, I have built this board game. You want to participate in? And once you participate, it, it, you play this tower defense game where you set up these towers and the mobs will come in certain waves, and you're not allowed to do any damage to it. Your character does zero damage. The only thing you can do is you can trigger the element effect on enemies. So when you have the element effect, they'll they'll die. So uh, <laughs> you could easily cheese it by going AFK by having all these like uh, was electric and fire towers, or or mm. maybe even like freeze towers, and just just stay there and just don't worry about it, right? Uh- but that seemed to be received well over overall. It was like it's like hey, it's something new. It, uh, it's people some, seem to it's, like it. It's new content. I guess people are pretty starving for content, so they're willing to take anything as well. Yeah. But the, but that wasn't that, that wasn't something that stuck around. That was just still like it only lasted for like what two weeks or something. Uh, two weeks worth of rewards, and once the rewards are gone, uh, you still could do the event, but you're not getting any rewards. So so most people yeah. are just like whatever, you know, we'll just they'll, they'll just ignore it. There's no reward involved, right? Yeah, and I guess the 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 latest like development in Genshin like happened in uh, China where they had a, a collaboration with KFC, and so like there were I think pins or badges of Genshin uh, characters yeah. in KFC. I think you also get a, a glider if you got the code here. Um... Oh, okay, and that that's like the the main thing why people lined up. Like there was such a such a big like I guess Genshin is st- still growing in popularity. Already oh, it's a popular. really big game. I mean, in in China, it is it is massive. But like, I I feel like they're just not ready to take on such a you know a large audience all at once. So, yeah, and, and I guess it's just something unexpected, right? Yeah, I remember hearing um one thing that was surprising to me was about the development of development of the game from Mihoyo. I think I heard that like Mihoyo has like roughly this is rough numbers a thousand people. And like more than half of that is on Genshin, so like at least like six hundred people developing the game, like that's huge. Like that's bigger than Bioware, <laughs> you know. That's that's, that's a crazy. lot of people making the game. And then of course the other half of they're still doing Honkai Impact updates and things like that. But it's like it really is like a triple A free to play title. So and I I was a little bit surprising to me. There was just that many people working on it. And I guess to to, to wrap up the KFC thing, like. So many people like lined up even before like the K like the the KFC locations and branches opened that that it had to be the collaboration had to be canceled because of COVID concerns. Yeah, well. it's pretty crazy. Um, I I heard people even like took the, like the 
was it like the giant banner, like the little little paper <laughs> statue? And they're like trying to sell it on like on like the Holy Alibaba, shit. like the Chinese eBay sort of thing for like seven thousand yuan. It's like oh my, oh my god. god. That's like, there's a pretty, it's pretty insane. Over there. Yeah. That's it's kind it's kinda of insane. It's uh Genshin 1.4 introducing like any new sort of content besides like you know new characters. Pardon? Is uh, the 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 one point four patch coming? The update is there? Is there anything like new modes or new regions to? Um, there is it? no new characters. Oh, <laughs> well, okay. there is one. There's a new four star, but no new five star. So, so all the five stars are are rerun of what people couldn't get when the game first launched, like uh, Venti. Oh, okay. And uh, Child, or people call him Tar- Targalia, his real name. Oh, yeah. Uh, but mm-hmm. we prefer child because it's what you first known him as, right? Yeah, yeah. I still call I still know him as child. When they when they announced his banner and I was still playing, I was like, I don't know what this the contart the something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I know it's child. But yeah, they, they're having banner reruns on uh version 1.4 um uh, with one new character uh, that was introduced during the the dragon spy dragon spine uh, patch. Um it- is, like, the, is the loop is the or, loop still the same though? Like these days, like when you keep up with Genshin, is there anything that you're actually like doing different besides just by, by the end game? You the only activities you can really engage with from when I was still playing was you know farming like the 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 unique bosses in the overworld and then doing like your um, uh, the wolf and the. And the I'm sorry the the jacket. game structure hasn't changed whatsoever. Oh my gosh, I don't know how people <laughs> keep up with it. It's, I've been trying to tell people, and people are just telling me, like, it's like, wow, you just got to give it a chance, give it more time. Like, you. It's like, wow. Well. <laughs> it's like, development takes time, you know? It's like, yeah, I get it. But yeah. So, <laughs> as an outsider to Genshin, the, my only exposure to it is that every month or so, when a character is announced, and it seems like it always makes a pretty big splash. Like, I remember, like, when Zong Li like, first added early this year or late last and then like there's a new character coming out with a new patch which ones have really had staying power or is it pretty much all just kind of like flavor of the month mm, uh ganyu is probably the best character that they ever ganyu was so, another one i remember here um, when they released like i don't i don't think people wailed on her banner as hard but the banner that people wailed the hardest from their statistic is klee um she was the yeah. little girl that threw bombs I, I remember seeing a lot of YouTube ads for Klee. It looks like the new character is Rosaria, who is a polearm cryo character. Is cryo like ice in this? Yes. Okay. Uh, like, it's not like in this game, one element isn't like the strongest. You've got to do an element reaction to get the most out of it. Like, uh, mm-hmm. like you use a fire character and you need, um, you need something else. To trigger like, a reaction, uh, uh, like a wind, for example. Yeah, like they'll cause like a fire tornado. Or if there's a water character, then you cause this effect called vaporize. Or <laughs> electric, it will be overload. It was like exploding fire effect, right? So you need to trigger these effects to get the max damage potential, right? Um, I think one of the biggest problems when the game first came out was Earth was kind of like the crappiest element. It's like they just have a shield, but they can't trigger anything. So what's the point? So there was a big uproar with the character Zhongli in the Chinese community because they were like, oh, this character's crap, and he's supposed to represent the Chinese god. So we're like, okay. Um, 
He was the only character that got buffed like super hard because of all the complaints. None, none of the other characters ever got buffed. So, so that tells you something. That's surprising to me. I, I thought they would like buff uh, Earth Element as a whole. That's the that's the word that I got. Like, yeah, they did. Time. They buffed their effects. So from that buff, everyone actually benefits. But his character actually like they buff his skill set as well. But okay. people didn't buff the skill set for the Earth characters. They just buff the element, right? Yeah, so like the just... only other char- Earth characters, like Noel, uh, your main character could switch to Earth. Yeah, like their effects are stronger. It's like it's like playing a Street Fighter game where it's suddenly there's a new patch update. Like universally, everyone gotten better, but they did buff the character itself. Interesting. But uh, what, what what do you hope that they add like in the next two months? Well, obviously the new region, but... (laughs) Okay, so have they set, like, any roadmap or anything on when to expect, like, new places to explore in this game? Mm, They try to keep it a complete secret. Everyone just kind of rely on these leaks that that you kind of hold with a grain of salt. Like, they're half true and, you know, they're half not. So it's like, well, like all leaks, right? You know, if you keep saying stuff, it might be true, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so hard to wait. I can't I can't keep up with the game. Like it's so the content feels like it's drip fed. So it's too slow for me. I, yeah, I think I had like, my patience ran out. Like when I'm looking at one point four, it's like oh yeah, we have no new region. So we add these mini games as a new mode where you're doing platforming, balloon shooting. <laughs> uh, now you can even ha- play a harp with venti. You know, it's like oh, oh yeah, I they're they're uh, introducing like dating sim elements. Now. Yeah, like, dating sim with four star characters. Where's my five star dating sim? Like, <laughs> I I guess that'll go over well with the Genshin fan base. That that seems to be a feature they'd want. Uh, I do yeah. think it's interesting when you say like earlier you were like there's no new characters oh wait there's a four-star character does that like kind of betray like how people think about like your value depending on how you're rated as a character i i think that's a mobile game set you know i i've been playing grand blue a lot before before Genshin, and you know if it's a not uh ssr character you just completely ignore them even though there might be some character that might be better but that table is so small that you don't really care Speaking of Grand Blue, it just recently celebrated. But how many? How many years old is it now? It's seven anniversary. Oh my god! Not long. It's still running. They still, uh, pardon? What, what do you want to talk about, Grand Blue man? That there's so. It feels like there's always so many things going on in Grand Blue. There, there is awesome tons game. of things going on. Um, this year the biggest uh, thing that's going on is there's a there's an anniversary event that involves all the society. The society is this this kind of like a secret Illuminati group that goes around killing primal beasts. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, um, what is it? Their characters uh, appear in the fighting games. All their characters, most of their characters appear in the fighting game. Like uh, we got Zeta, we got Vassarega, we got now we got S, S, S I can't say Eustace. Eustace. Yeah, we got yeah. Eustace uh, introducing the fighting game now. Um, I wasn't expecting him because I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't think he's that popular. Like I, I thought he was popular. That's that's what the from the people that I know that are into it. They're like, yeah, we really like Eustace. Like he, he, he's cool, but he's like that shady guy that you can't really trust. Like, is he on my side? Is he not? He's being really cryptic about it, you know? Yeah, and he has like that kind of like that not edgy, but like it's a slight edge look to him where he has like white hair. And it's all spiky, all going down, and he's like a gun user. But apparently, the like he was primarily a gun user before, but now that they has like a new like version of him like that's a new element and he has like a dagger and 
a grenade, I think. I think that's what the what they added for him, and maybe that'll be in his move set. Incorporate that those weapons in his move set for the fighting game. Like one of the things that goes on with their um, storyline that's probably not incorporated into the fighting game is that uh, as the story went on, the weapons kind of broke in one of the events, and they and they were modified and got new weapons. Is that that's part of the story, right? Oh, okay. Um, I'm not sure if that that applies in the fighting game. Like one of the characters, literally, she lost her sword, and and they had to get her like this this knockoff, and and the knockoff version with the sword is like you roll, it, you get the SR version. You didn't get the SSR version. Like they they get alts from from what happened to them in the story, like their weapons broken or they lost their gear or something like that. It seems that uh, uh, as far as Grand Blue versus the fighting game is concerned, like when it comes to incorporating characters, I know they sometimes like release like versions of the characters that have yet to appear in the mobile game. Like Catalina, for example, had the the night spirit thing with her before that appeared in the mobile yeah, game. Um, she got that really late in the storyline about like probably ninety percent like to where the storyline's at before that appears so and she got it in a in a fighting game before that showed up so people were like wow spoilers yo we were <laughs> it's weird how they have to balance this whole thing where even a fighting game moveset can spoil something in the mobile game and um eustace was the one that was picked over uh was, was it beatrix I, I think her name was yeah, beatrix is uh is probably the fan favorite around the a society group that's either you're a, a Beatrix fan or a Seta fan, red and blue, right? So it's, yeah, and, and then Beatrix will like be added in Grand Blue versus, but as as an NPC or something like that. From the, I think that's what the trailer said. Um, like I don't know, it could be like characters for the future too. Like, well, we got Uno or Andre. The yeah, that just sucks. <laughs> and I I usually just call him Frieza because of the voice actor. So Frieza is yeah. it's playable, right? The, um, the, the the thing that stuck about that is like they when they unveiled Uno or Andre, Uno is his like Japanese name and Andre is his English localized localized name. When they uh, unveiled Uno, they 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 confirmed that like it was between Uno or Siete, and Siete is like the big 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 fan favorite of this. Uh, Eternals group, like the strongest of the strongest. Yeah, and they're like fan favorite. Like in this story scene, um, he basically can like destroy all the internal like <laughs> like a duel. Like if this guy goes serious, so he's like the coolest badass, and he's kind of like a goof. So people just like this dark, you know, kind of character, right? Yeah, but I know a lot of people were pissed. They're like, it was either Uno or Siete, and he chose Uno. Are they crazy? That's I, I, I get it. Uno. Like nobody. <laughs> Um, but I guess they just wanted something different. I mean, nobody wants to use the character that is like so unique, and you know, I guess that's their way of putting the unique character, right? But it, it, it seems like I never heard about Uno ever since like they released him. It seems like I don't know if people are like actively using Uno. I'm not I, obviously like the the fighting scene in, in the West for Grand Blue versus kind of, as far as I know, kind of on the low end because. Uh, the net the net code for that game is it's a struggle. I think it could be revived. They added rowback net code. Uh, this seems like a hot topic in fighting games nowadays. But I don't know if the company wants to pour in all these expense for it. But you know they spend a lot of money on promotions. Surely they could spend, spend all that money on rowback net code, right? Yeah, on the on the recent, um, I think I forgot if it was the the recent uh, fighting game developer roundtable. Like uh, Katano, the uh, from Arc System Works, 
uh, like announced that you know they're considering adding rollback potentially to like older titles. So maybe that's in the in the works. Hopefully already. Like I would definitely love to revisit that game if they added rollback for sure. Yeah, I, I enjoy the fighting game a lot too. It's just the netcode's kind of unplayable, and and the torment scene wasn't growing because it was just released in a terrible time. You know. Yeah, the, the, like I Grand Blue if. Grand Blue came out while there was still a thriving offline scene. Like if the pandemic didn't happen at that time, like it, it'd be in a very different spot these days. Because it's actually cool to see like that game in motion. Like I, I like watching like tournaments of that game. It's like oh, this is fun. So how does Grand Blue like? How much longer do you think? Like, is it kind of like the? How do you say it? The parent of the modern gotcha game. In, I'm talking about the mobile game here, not the fighting game. Parent of but, the gotcha game. Well, wow. I'm basically like, so I'm think I'm trying to, so I'm trying to basically draw analogs to my experiences, which are like service type games, like I don't know, maybe you can consider Monster Hunter or like Destiny or MMOs. I'm trying to think of like when do you when do you see these games start to like sunlight? But you know, some MMOs around like eight or nine year mark, but then but then I guess there are some that like. EverQuest, where it's still good updates, or Final Fantasy XI. So is Grand Blue just going to be like a fixture for like still another decade? Do you see that happening? I don't see it running for another decade, but I see it maybe in another five years. That's that's my take. Um, another decade's really hard. Like most gotcha games can't even keep up for like five years, right? So yeah, um, yeah, decade would be way too long. Um. But I, I just think it's more about the story. Like, I think it's like he oh, was it the main character goes on an adventure to find his dad. Right. And I feel like they're kind of like just holding this off. It's like that his dad is just somewhere else. And and it's just like they just keep doing this in order to keep the story going. Right. Yeah. Uh, so from what I understand, like the, the, the structure of Graham Blue's like mobile game story is built. So it's like it could potentially last forever because the the, the premise of it is gran or jita the depending on which main character you choose the, the like the, the boy or the girl uh they they can they're often find their dad but along the way they're using an airship to travel from sky island to sky island to sky island so like new stories and potential new expansions to that story is like oh here's a new sky island that we happen to visit and things happen there I really don't get that in Grand Blue, though. It's like, oh, yeah, we need to go explore this island to get a map so we can find this other island. But yet, these bad guys always come up and, like, to wherever new island you, you showed up, right? So it's like they only had the map and they can always find us. It's like, how is this possible? I wonder I wonder if anyone has been keeping track, like, how many confirmed Sky Islands there are at the moment in that mobile game? Probably way too many because sometimes <laughs> when you play a different character side story, they'll be like, Oh, yeah, we just discovered this new island that has chocolate as monsters. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of like One Piece or something where they just find well, actually, different I, islands with different I was stuff. actually thinking about One Piece because, like, when talking about like long running media properties where the author there will he'll like state out, like, uh, the story is probably 60% done, which then people, of course, do some basic math and say, like, Well, if it's existed for 15 years and we're 60% done we've got 12 to go or, or whatever and I also like um, there's another property uh, Kaseki series don't, doesn't like uh, don't they like sometimes throw out percentages where they're like oh we've probably halfway through this, the whole story we want to tell yeah they do <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about that later, but I think they said that, um, they're, they're hoping to finish that in like 10 years 
But then there's also like the Final Fantasy 14 route where they're like the the next expansion will be the end of the current story arc. So we're not just going to like keep like dangling the carrot, but then we're going to open the door for uh, a new a new like era to begin. I guess you sort of also see that with like Kingdom Hearts where they're just like, OK, this closes the book on this chapter which is a good thing to like plan for because then you could decide to end it there, but then you can kind of just like shift focus and continue on as long as it's profitable. Right. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I can never take any percentages that there were just like, yeah, I, 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 I always end. feel like whenever they throw out a percentage about like how, how far along they are in their grand plan, like how, how much have you really like, you know, you just want to kind of give a value that, that gives enough of a gap that you say like yeah don't worry don't don't jump off the ship just yet because we've got plenty to go obviously it, 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 it feels uh, like at this point like like any series that like does that like long-running series it's like as if you if you're like thinking about like sunsetting the game and then but you still see like millions coming in it's like should we Mm, uh, and then your your but your higher ups are just like nah hell no. <laughs> I'll be pretty mad if the Grand Blue storyline ends like now. There's like too many loose plot threads that need to be solved, and it's like <laughs> if you just left me hanging there, it'll be like but that, oh that's my how God. they get you. They they establish these new plot points right that originally weren't there. Like it, it's just that's that that's the that's just like the the carrot in front of you. It's like no, I need to keep this going because you set up all these things now. Uh, it spent like the last story arc uh, setting up all these plot threads, like all these like villains that supposed to join you from according to their other games. So, and they have, um, was it one of the characters actually die off screen? And you're like, is that guy dead? Man, that guy is like invincible, man. <laughs> it's like, I, I want to know. It's like, yeah. if there's no and, body, he's not dead. That's that's kind of like what everyone's speculating, but you know that's what it feels like for every guy like a mobile gotcha game or just any like game in general. I mean, like if that if that character has died off screen, he's probably still alive somehow. I mean that's just that's just general wisdom. If there is no dead body, they are not dead. I mean yeah. it sounds kind of dead. I mean this guy got poisoned in the restaurant and uh, they burned the place down and they said, oh yeah, we we got the body, but you don't see the picture, so I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. Very suspicious. He's actually won the hardest boss fight in the game you can fight, and people make fun of it in like YouTube channels. Like, oh, it's like this guy died by poison in the storyline, but he's fucking immune to poison in the <laughs> gameplay. Any any cool upcoming things coming to to Grand Blue? That they, um, that they share? Not unless you play the mobile game. The recent anniversary stream was all about the mobile game, and. And they basically have like quality of life features that the game been waiting for like seven years. Nice. Uh, one of the biggest drawbacks when you're playing Grand Blue was um, there's something called the Primal Summons. Um, mm -hmm. You basically, you know, when you get weapons, um, they get boosted effects when you have the Primals linked together. And they would have basically weapons would do 150 times more damage. So that's how you get like the millions of damage in the game later on, right? And right. um, they added a new on cap, and there was a huge uproar in Japan about it because um, the director of the game or the producer said, It's like, well, you need to reduce one of your primals to get it. And everyone's like, What do I have to reduce one of my primals to get this on cap? Is like, Are you going to like 
Final Fantasy Brave Exvius territory, you know, where you need to oh. draw a dupe SSR to get even higher ascended, and everyone was freaking out. And and uh, with the recent update, they said they clarify you don't need to reduce it, but reducing like extras will get it that step faster. You can actually use your own currency to get the currency. I don't know if the producer kind of like just pull back after hearing all the up war or maybe it was already planned because or maybe he just stumbled because he wasn't supposed to be the guy that was doing the, the delivery message right because huh. the director is supposed to talk about that and he wasn't there in the anniversary stream they said he was oh, too okay. thick. so oh. maybe the producer just you know misspoke about it i don't know right interesting grand never ends though but some people like said, you know, it took them seven years to have certain quality of life features. So I'm sure they can't pull back that quick, right? That's what some people said, right? Yeah. The only thing, the only other thing I heard about the anniversary stream, because that's usually when they they kind of provide a roadmap, which you expect throughout the year. They were teasing like a, a collaboration event with uh, Bobo. Oh, yeah. There's, Bobo, Bobo, one Bobo. New, um, there's one new endgame boss, and people are kind of excited about that. You could fight uh, Belial, uh, if you remember him from oh, the fighting game. Fighting game, yep. Uh, he's actually one of the biggest scumbags in the video game. Uh, I have, and he's also the best summon you can pull. One of the best summons you can pull in the game. I have friends that like one guy literally hate him so much in the storyline. He literally erased that from his from his roles. Oh he, my I gosh! You got the strongest summon, and you and you decided to like throw in the garbage just because you hated this character in the storyline. That's crazy. I, I, the I love Avalio is like he he's very he has a lot of vocal fans. And a lot of people hate him. He's like he's like a trolling scumbag, but he's also like, is he on your side? Is he not? It's like 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 one of the anniversary event. It's like, oh yeah, it's like I'll I'll give you this airship if you spare my uh, my friend's life. And you're like, okay, we'll, we'll take the airship. Then later on, like after, it's like, oh wait, the airship is a time bomb. It's like that guy trolled us. Nice, great. Well, it's been cool to have uh, you on, Chow, to talk about these games that otherwise we just don't have, like the bandwidth or the current people who are currently interested. Like, interest is not the right word. Currently seeking yeah, time no, into no and staying up to date on. <laughs> no, I mean Josh spends plenty of times jumping from uh, the different gotchas that he's into, but right now he's focusing on. Uh, is it still Princess Connect Redive? Yeah, I stopped Princess Connect and um and that did our clan like win the battle or something? How does uh, it work? We we ranked pretty well. So the how the clan battles work, just very briefly in Princess Connect, is uh once a month for five days, there's a clan battle period, and you and up to thir- uh twenty-nine other people in your thirty uh person guild um compete against these uh bosses that have a lot of HP uh th- throughout it, and like you're taking hits up to three times a day. And then what, whatever damage you do to that boss is reflective of everyone else's um, client in the, in the clan. So if I do like 150,000 damage, that'll be a reflective of all the other clan members. So there's this string of like five bosses that you can clear. And every time you beat them, you get some rewards. And then after you beat the final fifth boss, it'll go to lap two where you fight the same uh, bosses again, but they have higher stats, higher HP pools and whatnot. And everyone has to have three full parties of five members already built up to kind of do well in that. And the, uh, your cumul- cumulative score for everyone in that uh, clan is t- tallied up and you get a global ranking um, relative to all the other clans in, in the entire game for, the, for like the global version, for example. So, and each reward bracket uh, for every place you're rewarded out depending on your reward bracket. 
And we so we still fell in line within like maybe the fourth or fifth reward bracket, and that's still pretty good. Like it was a very competitive clan battle the, the, this time out. This is the second clan battle that's in the global version of the game, and you know it's been it's been cool. You know, working uh, with the people uh, in the RPG site Discord to kind of uh, organize that together and making sure that like, hey, you know, we, we got to do our part so everyone else benefits, right? So you're being a taskmaster. Yeah, yeah. I have, a, I have a spreadsheet open and making sure, all right, making sure you get your hits in, cool. Two thumbs up. <laughs> you did it. And I, I I feel like bad, but at the same time, it's like, this is what it has to be done too. Like, Ch- Chow gets it because like it's even worse in Grand Blue, the, the mobile yeah, game. There, there's, that, a, there's a guild that actually has timestamp cards. So like, if you don't check it in, you get kicked out. It's like, uh-huh. oh my God. It's like, is this full-time job in the video game? Yeah, <laughs> Grand Blue has these uh, periods. I, I forgot how long they 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 run in Grand Blue. Uh, um, but, it, it's like five days, or actually okay. it's a week. Uh, basically, there's a pre preliminaries where you just kind of like see how many points your guild can can get, and they'll be like, "Oh, you're a A rank guild, and you'd be fighting A rank guilds, right?" Um, the best rewards obviously in, in the A rank, so everyone just tries to stay there. Then after that, you're pitted against with inner guild, and it's just see who gets more points by killing these mobs over and over again it's yeah really so boring yeah they had this uh event called unite and fight in there and that, that that's basically the guild war in that game and like you i forgot how long uh, how big uh clans can be in um grand blue uh, but 30 members i'm okay, not sure if that's the same oh. number in pre-con yeah yeah it is so that you basically yeah as you said you it's it's more direct in grand blue where you're facing off against another guild like and it's a tug of war uh, between like who gets more points on the bosses that they fight, and like whoever like succeeds like gets to like ascend like to the next bracket, and you know whatever ranking you get, you're rewarded out. While in precon, you're not going against directly another guild, but you're you're still trying to do your best to get a good global ranking reward bracket wise. Like I, I think it's better if they just have it like precon. Like the thing in and grand blue kind of gives it like a bad stigma of how it's being like the most grindiest game ever it's because of the guild wars event it's people just keep grinding this thing non-stop right and you'll yeah be because like, yeah, you have because like there's unlimited attempts right as long as you have the stamina for it i think is that how it is in grand blue yeah um even some japanese guild have optimized strategy. you're not allowed to auto you need to kill these boss manually in the most optimized fashion possible if you want yeah. maximum points so they'll True. be like oh so that so that's the nice thing about precon is at the very least everyone is uh, hard capped at three attempt or three hits a day not three attempts but like you can only like hit the boss for three times a day essentially uh, on that while in Grand Blue it's unlimited so if if they took off that cabin precon it'd be hell it'd be the worst thing ever I'd want to die yeah um, I guess some people don't want them to take it off because they want to flex their grid. Their grid yeah. is their weapons. You know, they want to flex how many millions of damage you can do in like less than twenty seconds. So, it's like if I don't got anything to flex on, then what I am wailing for, right? It's, it's darkness, dude. It's the abyss. Any other final thoughts on either Grand Blue or Genshin or Princess Connect? Uh, final thoughts? Well, I don't think it's a thought. I think everyone should just join in as a flavor of the month and be a seasonal player because of their roulette system you come in and you get free rolls <laughs> oh, for, 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 yeah for grand blue usually like during their like anniversary events or half anniversary events like 
if people want to roll a gacha on a mobile game to like get cool characters and whatnot, they do have like a, a roulette system where like, hey, you're awarded thirty the, today. You're around thirty free draws, or today uh, you got this special frenzy where you can keep on rolling until you like get an SSR or whatever. Well, speaking of roulette, it resets just now. Let's test my luck while we're doing this. Ow. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm not going to... I do my own thing on the Princess Connect thing. I'm still having fun. I, it's just, you know, I, I'm trying to think of like the next like big gotcha game coming. I think it's like the near reincarnation localization, which is, I don't know, maybe cool, maybe not. Oh yeah, I think next month is when uh, the this Gaia RPG mobile game comes out for in english uh the mobile game this guy i don't know I, I don't know if i'm really excited for it I, i'd be i'm interested in checking it out because it's like it's turn-based instead of an srpg that's what i hear i don't know if i'm excited for it i don't know um the the same people who are running the english version of that are running the idola fantasy star saga mobile game in english and that like recently i don't know i think it celebrated its first anniversary and whatnot. I think I think they're really accelerating the content of that because they're already on, I think, episode two of that, and that came much later in the Japanese version, and now it's already here in the first anniversary in the English version. So I don't know. I'm... So moving on, Adam, I do know that last week you had a game that you wanted to talk about, but you were just kind of kind of crowded out because we had, I think, six people on the cast. Uh, tell me about Romancing Saga three. So I will just say that I don't know what exactly Square Enix is doing with their current Saga project, which they will reference in their press releases. Um, But I'm here for it because the Saga games are just like a really interesting take on like the Japanese RPG genre that honestly, like, I know this is maybe trite to say, but there's really nothing like them in terms of how they're structured and how they like what they contribute and how they work. And um, so what I've been playing recently is actually the re-release of Romancing Saga 3. So the Saga series, if you're not familiar, because it is one of Square Enix's probably lower totem pole series, just in terms of just, uh, you know, mind share, is um, kind of the series that took off based off of uh, Final Fantasy 2. So Final Fantasy 2 had some interesting... Uh, gameplay mechanics and how it was uh, and how it was operated and it was directed by Akatoshi Kawazu and then from there they developed the, the, the original Saga games on Game Boy which were translated as Final Fantasy Legend for us in the West and then the Romancing Saga games on Super Nintendo which were never released in the West and then Saga Frontier and so on from there so Square Enix has recently released Saga, Romancing Saga 2 and Romancing Saga 3 on pretty much everything like Steam, PlayStation 4, Switch, Xbox even, and mobile devices. So yeah, pretty much everything. And uh, I talked about Romancing Saga 2 in a podcast maybe like a month, two months ago. So now I'm on to 3. And let me just set the picture here because each Romancing Saga game is pretty different. So in Romancing Saga 3 specifically, you pick one character out of a set of eight. These are like eight bespoke created characters. And after a short opening section that is unique to each character, you are basically placed on the world map and you are generally tasked with um, not like a specific goal, but just like 
there is an impending doom coming to this world and you have to stop it. Now pick a direction and go. It's not very well, and I, I, I say that stated that poorly. It's not like the game is directing you and holding your hand like you have to go in this direction or you have to do this thing first. It's just kind of open, free form. Like just explore, talk to people, see what happens. You'll run into different story quests. You'll run into different dungeon areas. Um, different bosses and eventually the story that emerges kind of just kind of just emerges more naturally rather than having it like driven to you like more traditional Japanese RPGs do and I honestly find that really cool it's I saw one person describe it as uh, JRPG Skyrim because but I have can, to point really, out you have not played Skyrim <laughs> I have played open world RPGs just not Skyrim but it's just you basically just it's a type of game where you have to enjoy and allow yourself to just wander. If you need somebody to tell you where to go, Romancing Saga is not for you. You have to just basically explore and find what happens. And I really appreciate that. It's also got just the cool saga-like combat systems that are pretty common throughout the games. Um, I played Saga Scarlet Grace uh, when it released um, back in 2019, actually just released shortly after this remaster did. And I, as I can kind of see, you know, the common, you know, DNA between these titles, even though they were released, you know, 15 years apart or whatever it was. Um, and it's it's just a really cool game uh, for those that really like digging into, like, exploration and mechanics. And the story is there, but it's just more like a story light, you know, background uh, impetus. To, to to continue through the game and you kind of just discover it as you go rather than having it being like the driving force behind the game. And so the reason why I'm playing this now is because Square Enix recently announced the Saga Frontier remaster, um, yet another remaster in the series coming out in like a month from now, almost exactly. Saga fans to keep winning, dude. That's what it is. Saga well, fans, I, I'm, I'm happy probably. about it. It's yeah. one of my favorite franchises and I, I will always show them if I can. Yeah, so uh, (laughs) yeah, I've heard many stories about Unlimited Saga, and apparently, like ninety-eight percent of people don't understand how to play it. It, It's very (laughs) difficult. I would, I would look up a YouTube guide on how to play it, and I still wouldn't understand it. You basically, it's like an unrefined Scarlet Grace. You have a a character can take like a larger action, you know, with the stars and and Scarlet. I would would have tried to start like explaining it. I can't do it. (laughs) Yeah, you also got slot machines. I've heard it's sort of like a JRPG take on like a tabletop game. Yeah, you get a board game where you explore and you'll be like, oh, in the board game, you're moving certain blocks and it'll be like, oh, you step on a death trap, you die. Yeah, it it makes more sense if you imagine that there's an imaginary GM uh, Mm -hmm. pointing you through it. Go on, like, sorry. for example, in Romancing Saga 3, just as an example of like what you sort of run into. So early on in one of the first cities you are, you kind of find yourself in. And again, you can kind of go like anywhere at any time. So it's very freeform. But like in one of the early cities you find yourself in, you run into a blacksmith. And the blacksmith uh, lady there is basically like, um, I need to avenge my father who was murdered by a, uh, by a rogue and took, you know, the matriarch spear, which is like this holy spear. And then you can recruit her to your team or you can have her work the workshop too. And that kind of gives you bonuses either way, depending on what you do with her. And then uh, later you find out about of uh, you, like one of the characters that you start with has actually lost like the matriarch's uh, 
sword. And then in another in another spot on the map, you run into uh, a bandit who has basically. Uh, I mean, I don't want to get into too many details, but you kind of have like these different storylines that emerge sort of from different angles. And eventually this bandit that you find, you learn is related to the bandit that killed this, this blacksmith's basically master. And eventually you can, by just talking to NPCs, kind of going through the different storylines, you find out where they are and you go through like this whole dungeon up this tower to find this bandit. And it ends up like uh, with this kind of really neat sequenced boss battle that appears there. And it's like a really cool sequence, uh, really challenging. It's fun on that regard. And the thing is, is like that is all completely optional. You don't have to do it. It just kind of emerges out of just exploring, talking to people, recruiting people. By the way, you can recruit like there's eight main characters and you can recruit most of them at any time. There's some limitations. And then there's like 23 other characters you you can recruit as well, like the bandit, like the blacksmith person. Um, you can recruit a lobster, you can recruit a snowman, you can recruit an elephant. Um, but what I'm getting at is, is like not only just the exploration, but just like how you construct your party and how you like approach the battles is all like completely up to you. Um, so it's really cool to kind of just put things together, try things out, see how they work. Um, and it's just really satisfying in that regard. I've sort of said this before, but saga games are great if you are not afraid to just try things and make mistakes sometimes and understand that like, maybe you're not putting together the absolute best top tier min max party, but you just got to try things, figure it out. Uh, sometimes you're going to maybe fail sometimes and like, maybe I need to adjust how I'm setting up my party, or maybe I should come back to this story section later and explore in a different direction first. And I just really appreciate that just overall with the Saga series that kind of all share the similar design. Uh, I'm an engineer uh, in my day job, and it sort of, I think, tickles my engineer brain, just kind of playing with it and trying things. And Saga games just really do that better than most other series I've, I've played. So I, I finished. So what's your verdict? Do you like three better or do you like two better? So Romancing Saga 2 is quite different in that it's, it's still pretty open world, but you only you don't really pick like a character from a set of eight. And also it has this whole like generational system in in play that three does not have, where you basically explore a bit, explore a bit. And then once you've liked in Romancing Saga 2, once you've completed enough of these storylines, which again you kind of do in any order, the game will basically jump ahead like a hundred years or whatever. And then you're like playing as the next generation of characters in the same world. And sometimes things change. Sometimes things change or stay the same. And it kind of ends up being a pretty messy system to be honest, but it's also like weird and interesting. I feel like Romancing Saga 3 is a little bit less weird, a little bit less messy, but also a little bit less interesting because it's just a more standard open world exploring any direction there's none there's no like generational jumps or anything once you recruit a character you can they're basically with you forever or you can get rid of them if you want um so i i would i, I guess i would boil it down that romancing saga 3 is a little bit more like well constructed and a little bit neater but it's also just a little bit less interesting if that makes sense <laughs> When you put it in this perspective, you know, I would be thinking, you know, Saga Frontier is basically 
a more refined three, I would say. And yeah, Sega I, Frontier I, Two would be a more refined <laughs> romancing saga too, if you're looking at it this way. It was a generation yeah, so what system. I, right? It, it's weird, right? It's just kind of when it when the jumps happen, it's kind of random. It sort of affects um, various things. So sometimes in Romancing Saga 2, you'll get a generation jump when you're not really expecting it. Like, oh, okay, now now I'm 100 years later. Uh, and so some things might change kind of when you weren't expecting it to. Um, from what I understand from, from Saga Frontier, which the remaster is coming out, it's you still pick from eight different characters. It used to be seven, but now it's eight. Because uh, they're adding a new character, yeah, it's but, uh, Fuse. Yep, who I I, got, I gather he was in the original game as a character, but he wasn't like a selectable main character. Is that right? Yeah, he's yeah. this cop that just kind of comes in and just skulls at you. You know, it's like, okay, <laughs> well, what's your problem, dude? He's not I, really I a fan like favorite. A, yeah, I heard he's just kind of like this no nonsense cop uh, or whatever. Um, but. Like, uh, what I understand from Saga Frontier, and tell me if I'm wrong, so the eight different characters you pick in Romancing Saga 3, they have like a slight change in their like perspective and how their like intro works, but once you actually get into the meat of the game, it doesn't change that much. There's just some few slight differences here or there, but it seems like in Saga Frontier, each of the characters actually has like their own goal, their own unique final boss, like their own little storyline that is unique to them. Whereas Romancing Saga 3, it's like each character kind of ends up in the same storyline. Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah. Um, basically in the Saga Frontier, it's like everyone has their own intro, but their middle game is always the same. But oh, the so end game is the is different. Everyone has a different end game. They have a different last dungeon, you know, different last boss. So that's um, different than Saga 3, where it kind of all once you get to the end game, it's pretty much the same. Yeah, like the middle is kind of like the same. Everyone would be just doing the side quest to kind of trigger what needs to what needs to do the end game, right? Because um, basically in Second Frontier, everyone has their own prologue. You kind of introduce this prologue, and that's your end game goal. Like uh, you play as Blue, his end game goal is that he needs to kill his brother, and it's like, well, what am I gonna do? It's like that's your middle game and the middle game is to do side quests in order to trigger this thing right i forget yeah. what was it it's always the same side quest that that's needed to trigger the, the yeah you basically had to collect all the magics or you fight all like the magic lords or whatever you know okay yeah i remember that so you do that and uh, what's really kind of cool is like every route is so different in a weird way like a cellus route you don't really have time as your luxury you just can't go oh yeah i need to do my side quests you know and just you know blow up in time right because there's assassins that are trying to kill her and you'd be like and you have no idea when they can occur like like a real life assassination attempt mm -hmm. and um what else there was also the the worst route i would say is loot um i think i probably rant about it a few times in in our staff chats, but um, Loot is the worst route. He his route is kind of like incomplete. He has like no storyline, and they're gonna finish it. Wow, well, like they finish it. I, I hope they do because in the original game, it's basically you. It's like oh yeah, you do the intro and you just can go to a straight to the last boss dungeon and that's that, that's it. But you'd be too weak. It's like oh yeah, I'm a. There's not enough events doing this, so I'm like level one and I had to fight like a level fifty end boss. What do I do? You know, it's like you screwed. So what you do is like you just kind of do all this boring fetch quests for him to grind him out so he could get ready for the last boss. And I think 
hearing that there's a new game plus feature may solve loot's problem in the, in the remaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm so curious to see how that, like, what all these new additions are to the game besides Fuse. Like, they're saying, oh, there's new events, new stuff. I'm so, I'm so happy that they're you know, getting the chance to just finish the game they wanted to after all these years. That's crazy still. And it's also interesting that Legend of Mana is also coming out later this year, which is a Mana game by name, but it's kind of like the most Kawazu touched saga ish Mana yeah. game as well. It's so it's sort of. Yes, when they were getting that Xeno game remastered, I mean, the Xeno Gears remastered <laughs> with the yeah, Xeno yeah. Gears is weirder because Monolith Soft is now at Nintendo. So it's like, if it were to be remastered by Square Enix, it would be like completely different people doing that. So yeah, <laughs> unless they somehow like collaborate with uh, with Malisov and like agree to like a either a Switch type exclusive or just Switch Forever exclusive or something. But I would love to see you know Xenogears get that uh, Saga Frontier Remaster Chief like being able to complete the game. What the fuck does yeah, that, that game look like when it's actually done? Yeah, that what second. Does, what does, what does is... this two look like? <laughs> right. But yeah, um, I'm. I mentioned this earlier, but I'm still kind of just. I find it just interesting how every time Square Enix like does like a press release for their saga series, quote what they'll put in their press release is quote part of the ongoing saga project from Square Enix that has so far included Western releases of Romancing Saga Three, Saga Scarlet Grace, and Romancing Saga Reuniverse. Now comes Saga Frontier Remastered. So just like it's it's interesting to me that they actively specifically mention that like there's some saga project that is like some coordinated effort to do these remasters. So I wonder if that'll ultimately lead to maybe a saga frontier two remaster and maybe a new game. I mean, Scarlet Grace wasn't that long ago. I I guess the original version was five years ago or whatever on Vita, but I just kind of find that interesting that they specifically note that. Hey man, that's that's what happens when you get the, uh, as powerful as Kawazu in Square Enix. You can just <laughs> do you can just do whatever the fuck you want. Apparently, I, I just kind of find it interesting that like I don't think the Saga games are. I don't think it's a stretch to say they're not as popular as some of Square Enix's other franchises. But Easily. I guess they just they just give Kawazu some freedom to kind of just do what he wants, and he's he's kind of the brand manager. But there's also the, the actual director of the games is I forget his name. I, I interviewed him at E3 once, but like he's quasi sort of like this supervisory, like major, like boss of this franchise, but there's other people below him that are sort of operating the directing the new games and whatnot. Well, he's definitely um, the face of it. Like, uh, just, like right, he's definitely the face of the whole franchise, but I guess he's, there's he's just some like some nondescript suite in like some floor of a building where it's like, this is Kawazu's pod where like <laughs> they just throw money in and like, you just keep the saga ball rolling. Just, just keep it up. <laughs> And there I, you go. I that's in podcast, this is Kawazu's pod. <laughs> I mentioned in previous podcasts, it's also interesting that like Trials of Mana did exceeded expectations for them. It's sold more than a million. And obviously there's a Legend of Mana remaster coming out. And it's like those two franchises for a while there, they were kind of dormant. <laughs> and now they're they seem to be, you know, remasters are not, you know, maybe the most interesting thing, but the fact that they're there's some life in those franchises. It's pretty cool to me. Yeah, I'm still blown away that Trials of Mana remake reached a million. I, like it makes me wonder. It's like, can Legend of Mana do that? Can I don't know. Can it? Legend of Mana is a lot weirder. It's very cool. Yeah, it's also, <laughs> it's also Shimamura's best soundtrack. I'm just gonna clarify that. So it's very good. I think Secret Mana could hit those numbers if they actually like put a little bit more effort in their remaster. The Secret, the Secret of Mana well is already cursed. They already they already fucked that up once. So. Yeah, that remaster was just. 
Yeah. I think they learned their lesson. Actually, I, I interviewed the Mana people as well. And they're once they they saw the reception to the Secret of Mana remaster, they were like, yeah, we actually have to put more effort into these. Like, we can't just put a paint a coat on it and call it a day and make the music terrible. <laughs> God, Secret of Mana's read, read on soundtrack is literally like, what were you thinking? <laughs> anyway. Uh, uh. It still hurts yeah, that, that's that's one reason why they at least it's not maybe not the most high budget game, but they at least gave a little bit more effort to Trials of Mana remaster or remake, excuse me, and that seems to have done pretty well for them. So who knows what they'll do next? Can you imagine if uh, somehow inadvertently the Trials of Mana remake became like the next Nier Automata? Like, oh, Mana is now a, a a priority big franchise for us at Square Enix, <laughs> like how Nier Automata did. Well, I mean, okay, if we are talking about Square Enix Japan franchises, I think we might have mentioned this in a previous podcast. The top three for the longest time were Final Fantasy, Dragon Quest, Kingdom Hearts, and now Nier Automata alone kind of punched that up and possibly the top three, definitely top four. And it's like, what would be under that? Mana or Saga? Probably, <laughs> Probably Mana. Mana. Yeah. Hey, hey, Mana used to be like the biggest action game until like the Kingdom Hearts come out, then everyone just forgot about it. It'll be yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah. Well, Dragon Quest Eleven. Hey, when you mentioned this, I wanted to look this up. Dragon Quest Eleven, as of uh, TGS last year, sold six million, and we recently learned that Nier Automata was five and a half million. Now, I don't know the specifics about like what that includes for like Eleven S and all that other stuff, but just trying to just trying to very, yeah, just trying to very much ballpark where does Dragon Quest sit with Nier, and it seems relatively close. Speaking in a very broad mm-hmm. term, where. Imagine saying that before Automata when nearly. Do you, do you remember if they still if Square Enix still holds the tradition of like Dragon Quest releases in Japan where they have to set the release date on Saturdays for that in Japan? Is that still a thing? I don't think so. Because I know so <laughs> it was a it was a big thing back then because people used to skip school. Yeah, but... skip school and, and like call out of work for Dragon Quest. They, that's what they used to do. But, but I think it's been so long that people just don't really care about that tradition anymore. I think, oh. that's, you know, it's been that long, you know. That was, that was I don't think back. it's possible now with COVID regulations, right? Oh, absolutely not. They wouldn't, they wouldn't try, dare do that anytime soon. I mean, I mean, Dragon Quest Twelve is still so far out that you'd have to hope and pray that we're past this current period in time by the time Dragon Quest Twelve is out. Any other final thoughts on? The saga series or romancing saga three adam i was actually looking up a calendar for july 29th 2017 which is when dragon quest 11 first released in japan so that was a bit before um the release in the west and that was a saturday so dragon oh. quest 11's first release which was uh which was ps4 and 3ds was a saturday i don't know about the re-releases but um there you go as of that it was still a saturday release in japan <laughs> What a great tradition. <laughs> so I guess the last person yeah. to go would be, oh, did you have, I didn't want to cut you off. No, that was just my final thought. Like I really enjoyed playing through the Romancing Saga games. Uh, I haven't played the first one, which has a, it has a version on PS2 minstrel song, which is like a remake of the original Romancing Saga that I might play next. Get Watch the Wonder them. <laughs> watch them like announce a remaster for that as soon as I finish it or whatever. It could happen. Anything could happen these days. Mm -hmm. So Josh, 
I think you're the last one to go because I have nothing to contribute because I haven't been able to play much this week. Uh, okay. I, I know that you recently put up a review for Noja, which we talked about at length. Yes, yeah. uh, not, not yesterday, last week. So, or maybe the week guess, before. Uh, what was it last week? Oh, yeah, it had, it had to have been last week. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, I don't. I don't want to set the plate for you, but I do kind of just want to hear like what your final thoughts are on on Noja. I or Genosha? I Did we ever decide that? I, I'm just calling Nosha because that's the easiest for me. me too. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I first came to this game, uh, I didn't know what to think of it. And even for like the first maybe I don't know three four hours of it, I was like, I don't know about this game. It's very, I was, it's very questionable because there's a there's a there's a period of time where you have to get used to the the structure of the game. You have to accept it for what it is, which is. It's going to be a highly repetitive game because you're going through these time loops, and in each of these time loops, you're doing this, uh, you know, werewolf or mafia style like party game every time, and you know, it was it's one of those things like, oh, I'm just doing this again and again and again, and along the way, I'm kind of raising these stats, I'm kind of learning some of these skills, but like, I you feel kind of wanderless, or you're just wandering around, you feel aimless, and there's something about it. It's like I, I don't know if I have like the will to go on if I can stand this type of game, type deal. Like I was definitely in that kind of boat for a little bit. And I, as I played more and more and more, it's it has this weird sensation that it's one of the very few games, like even RPGs. Like sure, when you start out an RPG, like you know you're not do your hits aren't, aren't doing that well. But like you know by like the forty or fifty hour mark. You're like, oh, I'm like dominating these enemies. And like that's your standard RPG thing of just getting stronger. But the way that this game handles it is since you're all your stats are are meant to like enhance your abilities to play this game of werewolf better among people, and you're playing as a player insert character, like you have a a more powerful like connection with that because you they're they're acknowledging you as a character in that game. You're not playing as a necessarily a, a silent protagonist was there's no voice acting in the game and you're uh, all you're really doing when you're communicating with these characters is sometimes in that game of werewolf you're doubting someone you're covering for someone or you're using your skills uh, sort of like debate tactics in it and you know you're just giving like very simple responses but you're being acknowledged that you are a person in that game and whatnot and so as you progress and get better at this game of werewolf with them you're actually able to like swing conversations and being able to like get a good read on like okay people uh, are trying to get rid of this person that I want to protect so uh, since my stats are like are pretty decent like I have a good chance of like uh, getting the heat off of them and it feels like pretty rewarding that like you're once you get uh, to a point where you just you're very confident in your abilities and that's something that most other RPGs don't allow for because you're not really a player insert in that character uh, in, in that game even if you're like have a a silent protagonist it's not actually you it's that person while in, well, in this game it's actually you you know well, i was gonna say it sounds like a western rpg or an immersive sim not all of them obviously like witcher or mass effect but some of the more first person ones yeah but in this one your characters have like a portrait your your only representation is like it's a color symbol that you kind of like a marker at the beginning of the game but you know in each of like those western rpgs like that main character still has a design 
So in everyone's mind, like, you know, and for marketing purposes, like they're like, even though that's a, so, like that be a player insert character, they still have a design that everyone, uh, you know, identifies them by, well, in this game, you don't mm-hmm. have one. So it, it kind of, have, for me, it, it felt like you know, there was a closer connection. So the point that I was getting at is just, it feels good to really like put them out a lot of, uh, like a lot of time into this game and like being able to feel like that you're actually part of it. And it, it's a, it's a strong sensation that, that brings, especially when like, when it comes to like the later parts of that game where there's actually goals of like, you're so connected with these, with this cast. Now you spent a lot of time with them, you know, what they're, like what their personality is, what their quirks are, who they like, who they dislike. And so there, there'll be like a main narrative emerging from that game the more you play. And a lot of the hurdles in this main narrative is, serves as like kind of like boss battles or escort missions where, oh, to get the next part to progress in this main narrative, you have to you know, protect this person and make sure this person goes into cold sleep and making sure none of them get eliminated first uh along the way like if you if you're going down that path and the person they have to protect is um eliminated by chance like it's a no-go you have to wait till the next loop and there's a something about that like it's super irritating and frustrating because you're like i did everything right i have all these stats and like and and just by the luck of chance that like they were the ones that were that was eliminated first like you you feel frustrated but at the same time like that's that's how the game like uh i don't know how to really put this into words that's how the game communicates that like this is like the burden of a time traveler this is what time traveling must feel like if you're trying to like finally find out like you know uh, some sort of narrative thread behind why you're time traveling in the first place now and that's a, that's such a, a cool feeling that like a lot of games don't really communicate like communicate well for me because you're basically like a spectator in that story while this one you're you're an active participant and that you have now formed such a, a, a strong bond with both how the game operates and the and the participants in this game that like you just feel like that you're you now ha- share that frustration that you know other other cast members that like must feel when they have like you know these backstories that may correlate to your current circumstances and whatnot and it's like it's such a cool thing and i don't know writing the review for that was like a challenge because it's one of those things that you don't want to spoil for people as well because you want them to feel the same way that you felt or you know potentially like you don't want to spoil that feeling and whatnot because the way that like that emerges in the game it's such a such a cool concept and i think they pulled it off pretty admirably and uh, like i said last time and and the, that this game isn't for everyone you know because that there that's the whole game it's a repetitive nature it's looping and looping and looping again like i ended the game roughly around 160 loops in while my other friend he's like near 200 loops he was near 200 loops you know and there's just a variance to it as well it's a luck of a draw in some instances whether you're able to like you know get to the game earlier than some others and that's like it sucks for them but but another chance another it's like oh interesting and the way you quote quote unquote obtain the true end in this is like such a it's such a small it's just a smart way to convey it as well because like the true end like it's not 
necessarily like something that's immediate like you'll immediately think about going to but once you if you consider what the what happens in like the quote-unquote normal end of that game and think about it it's like oh this makes sense of like this is how they would convey it and that true end actually like completes that circle uh that, that the game is trying to tell it's so it's so cool it's so cool <laughs> I, I i love it i love it it was great it, it is it is such a hard sell though because like i'm trying to like draw analog so you heard me mention immersive sims earlier and i'm like what oh, what other games is this like i've never played werewolf or mafia or um paranoia or any of those like social deduction sort of like tabletop or usually usually with the assistance of some sort of like cards or whatever whatever way you visualize it how do you how do you format that into a video game yeah (laughs) like especially especially when you're like especially when you're taking like traditional rpg systems into 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 the game and then you're introducing like x factors in there as well to like to really muddy up the rules a little it's like when, when you're when you're trying to, when you think you know something, like two or three more things pop up. That's like, well, it could potentially be this then, if question mark. And when you mention something about like a true ending, normally when I think of that, I think of like there's a set of criteria you have to meet, and then like you're rewarded with the best possible ending or the most the most closed book ending for a for a linear story. And again, you mentioned the participant versus the uh, spectator. And it's like, how do, how does an ending work as a participant versus a spectator? Like, yeah. I don't know if there's any other better <laughs> way to describe that. Yeah, that's a it's just a very unique experience. I I hope more people get a chance to play it and give it a shot. Uh, it, it's it's so tough. It's so tough to like convince you. It's like, no nah, man, it gets so good, <laughs> and yeah. then you're like, you're 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 insane. You're kidding me. <laughs> One of those games where you're just like, trust me, just just trust me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's cool. I'm I'm glad that the reviews up and that you know people enjoy it. Uh, yeah. So we cool. have that we have that on the website right now. It just went up this morning. So go ahead and read Josh's full in depth thoughts on Noja. I'll have to read it myself to see if I can try to elucidate exactly what this game is. Yeah. I I I, I hopefully I I gave a decent rundown. Uh, the Adam Adam edited. He, he didn't tell me that was a confusing mess. So hopefully that's a good indicator. You mentioned this in the podcast last week, but how it basically is a logic puzzle <laughs> and, you know, based on what the conversations you have and based on previous loops and based on how you set it up, trying to get, you know, trying to isolate and pinpoint certain bits of information to try to continue from there. So so I don't, I do know that Josh and Adam uh had dived into back in our discord here you were you were screen sharing an, another game that came out recently that we have, haven't actually covered on site uh that you ended up feeling kind of strongly about i want to hear what your experience was with a few hours of loop hero oh boy okay how do we set this up loop hero is um i don't know yet if it's like a traditional rpg in a sense, it's, uh, but, well, it's not. But like, I, how do you describe it? <laughs> it's okay. very... So, so uh, the, picture this. It's hard to do this without a visual reference. So I'm gonna do my best. So at the beginning of the game, when you hit new game on this, it is the the story premise is that the world has been engulfed in darkness. It's like visualized by this like this black goo or slime and whatnot. You're like, okay, 
And then your main character, this woman, wakes up in darkness. And how the the game is uh, presented is that uh, imagine like a, a rectangle uh, dirt path, just uh, does these these tile these dirt path path piles tiles uh, forming a rectangle, and then you have this uh, your character uh, uh, kind of walking down this dirt path, and uh, uh, so the surrounding environment is all darkness. It's just this character, which is represented as like this white pixel uh art sprite uh just uh, walking down that path that you have no control over that and then along the way you'll see a slime on that uh, dirt path and it's like okay they run into it and it engages in this uh battle uh but you have no control over it it's all auto battling you the slime hits you you hit it back and whatnot but you have no control over this then after this uh she'll continue uh just normal on that path Beating, uh, beating up enemies along that way. So, the the there is a, a two modes to this game as you're playing it: an adventure mode, which you know keeps the action going, and a planning mode, which is which pauses the action. Now, what your what you actually have uh, control over are uh, her equipment and uh, cards that may drop from enemies along the way. Uh, so the like if I'm beating down this line and I beat it, sometimes it'll give me like armor or a weapon, and then I can equip it, and uh, she'll have better stats and whatnot. And then sometimes the, you know an enemy may give me cards, and these cards can affect different things uh, along this path. So let's say uh, I beat down the same slime or another slime, and it gives me a, a meadow card and a vampire mansion card. So the, this vampire mansion uh, card, I can place down at the kind of the edge of the dirt path, and what that'll affect is, hey, now on this tile that it's connected to, uh, uh, vampires may appear in random battles of enemies that are slimes that may appear in that path, and then what the benefit is is that uh, vampire may give you better weapons, better equipment. Uh, or like useful cards for you, and then this metal card that uh, was also rewarded to you, you can place that at any like at, at like the outer edge of that dirt path. Like remember when I uh, mentioned that this dirt path is just surrounded by pitch black because that's just the story premise of the game. Now you're kind of like building some sort of geography uh, on the on the edges of that uh, any tile set that's like black that like you, you desire essentially that we're gonna and basically what you're doing is you're affecting what appears on the path that you again you are basically traveling down this path which is literally a loop and you have to you there's you, you there's no turns you have to go down the path but you can affect like what appears on it yeah and so like this meadow that that i placed now on the outer edge of it it's not on the path itself it's just one of those cards that you can like build geography out of the way. Now that'll have like passive effects, and this mm -hmm. metal card, like just by placing it down, you uh, regain plus two HP uh, per day. Now this day system, there's a day and night system in this game. Where in the upper left corner, there's this, like this little sun icon with a meter that will gradually fill up as the the game is in adventure mode as it's moving, and as that fills up, you know. Uh, it'll get to a point where, where, hey, the day is done. So once it's done filling up, it'll 
uh, give you HP the next day now that the day has roll, uh, rolled over, and that'll also respawn monsters on the map uh, as well. So you have to. Get and you want to fight monsters because they have a chance of dropping either cards or equipment. Yep. So that 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 that's the only thing you can really affect in this game in terms of like what the player does is just you're setting down cards and now and, and, and equipping equipment and all these all this equipment uh, like affects different things like an evasion a counter stat uh defense stat uh even like a vampirism stat where during battle you can like uh, regain hp from each hit and whatnot so you're kind of optimizing or trying to formulate some sort of build uh for your character it's kind of it's kind of i know People might get mad at these sorts of comparisons, but it kind of is like Diablo-ish or any sort of loot RPG where it's like you get a drop and you really hope that it fits the sort of build that you're building. And sometimes you make hard decisions where it's like, darn, I got this sword that is a lot better, but it but it lowers my my counter rate when I already have like a really good counter rate. I don't want to give that up for a better sword. And so you kind of have to make these sorts of split decisions you know pretty yeah. frequently like it's literally like every after every other battle or so you're kind of constantly putting on new loot and stuff and that's where the sort of roguelike randomness comes into play where you have no control over what drops for you and some some loops you might get a really good drop and some loops you might just end up getting shit but y'all you make the decision of like what you're going to stick with and what you're going to just discard and it's sort of that fun mix of randomness and decision making there it seems to be clicking for people yeah so uh, after every loop is done like after you make a lap in this rectangle like you know you you can continue to move on like uh, go to the a second loop and uh, uh every consecutive loop uh enemies get harder they get uh, higher hp they hit you for harder and whatnot but they can also drop better stuff the more you loop and the uh, the main reason you want to continue looping is there's a, a meter underneath the the day meter where it slowly fills up uh to spawn a boss that's kind of like the the you know the time till the boss appears and whatnot so you're trying to uh construct a build that will loop long enough to spawn this boss and hopefully you've built uh your character up at this point to withstand this boss um but you can also retreat as well in each loop and now this is is every time you start a loop, you start at this campfire tile. If you make it to that campfire tile and retreat, you get to uh, keep all the resources 100% that you've gained. You can also retreat when you're not on that campfire tile, but at a penalty where you have to give up 40% of the resources that you gain, so you only can take back 60% of this uh, campsite that I'll, I'll describe in a bit. So, so basically, kinda... you you want to retreat at the campfire to get the best take back, but you can retreat at any time if you absolutely need to at a penalty. And the reason is, is if you end up dying in a loop, you get the largest penalty. So you want to avoid that completely. Yeah, and the largest penalty is you can only take back 30% of the resources that you've obtained in, the, in that run. So there's this kind of this risk-reward uh, factor to it where you're thinking like, do I want to keep looping to get more resources? Or do I want to stop here to at least maximize the amount that I've, I've gained so far? Because I don't think I'm ready to. Pre I'm prepared to take on another loop of these like monsters that are more um, powerful. And, and keep in mind, like, there's all sorts of cards. We've only mentioned the Vampire Mansion or the Meadows, but there's also 
like other sorts of cards that can um, spawn unique enemies, like uh, a swamp tile that you put on that dirt path, like that can spawn mosquitoes and whatnot. And it, it kind of takes weird inspiration from, well, we just mentioned Legend of Mana, where in Legend of Mana, you have like this map feature where you can like plop down landmarks that you can go explore. In this one, you're plopping down like um, unique tile sets that'll uh, do different things. Like that's uh, a swamp card will spawn these mosquitoes, but and then this graveyard card will spawn skeletons. So you're crafting a map of uh, of like how how you wanna what you wanna deal with along the way, and whether you have like the resource whether you're confident in your resources to take on this enemy path that you've built along the way and and also with these enemy cards there's those environmental cards that i mentioned like there's these mountain and rock cards that you can obtain too where you can actually build a mountain uh like uh, just on the on the edges of the screen um where you can uh when you build these tile cards, every time you plop them out, you raise your max HP with these mountain and rock cards as long as they're positioned adjacently from each other. But if you set them in a certain formation, it'll actually establish like a mountain landmark uh, where you'll get a big boost to your maximum HP, but you also but harpies also start swooping down from that mountain that you just created and whatnot. So there are consequences as well to the bonuses that you gain on it and uh, and whatnot so there's this whole, and there seems like, to be other uh there are other there are other things as well like um uh you got like village cards and these are cards you had to unlock like you didn't start with them and there's probably a lot more to unlock that you haven't even gotten to yet and yeah so you started pl- you started placing down village cards and what they do like at a, at a face level is that they heal you every time you pass them but you actually unintentionally put a village next to a vampire mansion uh, mm-hmm. again because you can place them wherever you want. And apparently, if you do that, and you didn't know this because the game doesn't like explicitly tell you this, is it created like a ravaged village instead of a normal village? And what it, what the game tooltip said at that point was like it summons like zombies or whatever, and they're really hard. Um, but if you can survive that for three loops, it says something good will happen. I don't think it got to that point. No, I didn't get but, to that. But it, it was a really funny instance. Of like, it, 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 like it's it's even it's even thought up to the point that like your the the position uh, where you place these like some cards uh, respective to others will create like a sort of like a lore thing around them. So so like when we place that village card by the by the vampire mansion, like there's even like that in the tooltip where there's there's like an even like small story bit that says like oh this village was like ravaged by the nearby vampire and whatnot and that kind of that kind of that kind of mixes with what you said about like risk reward like you you can build a mountain with the cards you get and that raises your hp and it also gives you resources but it also makes it to heartbeat start appearing and who knows maybe getting a ravaged village and saving it or whatever you do if you loop around it enough might give you like a really good reward as well if you can do it um and then there's also like villages can also like create harder monsters. They call them like quest monsters that are, of course, they're more difficult to take out, but they give you like better equipment occasionally. So there's a lot of risk reward in the game. Also similar to like, should you retreat at the campfire? Or should you try going for another loop and hopefully not dying? So, yeah. And then the, the other half of this game is, you know, once you retreat, whether you're at the campfire tile or not, there's this whole base builder aspect to it. So early in the game, you meet other 
survivors in this you know t- torn world uh where you're just trying to band together and survive so all the resources that you get, that you obtain from your run you can accumulate those so you can uh, start building facilities at this campsite that you're in so you can build like early on you can build um what was it uh, a blacksmith uh a farm uh, a gymnasium, storage and, depot, yeah, storage depot, and all or these supply depot thing. or something. Yeah, like bu- building a blacksmith early on, for example, makes it so as soon as you start a loop, uh, a loop. Normally, when you start a loop, you wouldn't have anything, but the blacksmith lets you, uh, gives you like a basic equipment, like a basic armor, a basic sword, and a basic shield. So at and least you also um, created the gymnasium, which unlocked like the RPG side of the game. Yeah, that that's also a weird part too, where um, we didn't know like like it it had RPG stats, but like okay, can you get experience points? So one of the early facilities that you unlock early on too, like unlocks a experience meter underneath your HP meter. So every time you beat monsters, you're gaining experience, and once that meter fills up, you don't necessarily level up, but you can choose one of three traits, and these traits can be like. You know, um, you have a chance to stun your enemy uh, 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 after a weapon swing, like a 35% chance or something and whatnot. So they're not necessarily like you're buffing your dude up, um, but they're they're tweaking and alternate ways to tweak or enhance your experience uh, with your, maybe your current build and whatnot. And uh, so, and after you build facilities in this campsite, there's a chance that like they may unlock cards. So like building like a farm, for example, uh, unlocks unlocks the wheat fields card, and so now you can like put wheat fields at this village card that I think another facility unlocks. And so when you put these wheat fields around the the village, it'll enhance the HP they um, give you every time you go over them. So it's a very systemic RPG where you know, or systematic RPG where. You, there are sy- systems that really entangle with themselves with another, and uh, and a lot of the game is finding out those uh, how each each card or each system like may affect one another. Like, for example, um, a good way to accumulate resources in this game is also in that kind of cartography building the, ge- the geography out, uh, where you get this treasury card, and you it cannot be placed adjacent to any other card but if you surround it with other tile cards whether it be rock meadows or mountains if you're able to surround that from uh from making basically making a square around it you'll get a big bonus to the amount of resources that you gain and can also give you a lot of good equipment as well so you have to start uh as you're looping you're also thinking about should i save these cards uh hoard these resources you want to place them next to a treasury so like you might get a bunch of meadows and like if i get a treasury then i can plop the treasury down and then build a bunch of meadows around it and get like a huge bonus or like should i just place the meadows right away without the treasury yeah and then and and the and the and the you know the risk reward there is meadows when you place them down like i said earlier it gives you an additional hp when the day ties so holding on to them lower basically you're you're keeping hp off the board yeah so. exactly so that's it's a it's hard to hopefully we did a decent job sort of describing this game it's it, it makes a lot more sense once you see it and then start identifying the 
the user interface elements because that, things will click like, oh, okay, that's how that works. But the way it's kind of you have to present it verbally is tough. It, I think it's it's a very interesting. It's definitely game. the type of game um, when you like look at like I remember when this game was first announced and like some of the early trailers for it. It's just hard to decipher just even from like a quick glimpse of the game, like what is going on here. Like there's just so much on the screen and it's not. It's not like I'm not saying I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but it's not the type of game that just immediately intuitive sells itself. Like, oh, I know what's going on here. I see exactly what type of game this is. It's really the type of game you kind of have to play it and see it, and like uh, then you can understand like what's going on. And it has, if we step back a bit, I think it has like a really uh, enticing like treadmill, if you will. Like every loop that you do, you're getting better. You're getting resources. You're unlocking stuff to make the next loop easier. It's very roguelike in structure that way. So I can see why it's clicked on with people where, you know, that sort of one more one more run type of mentality. Uh, and even if you fail, and even if you get creamed by the boss like you did, uh, you still gain something out of it <laughs> So for the next run. So, yeah. Uh... Like I've only spent a few the a few hours of Loop Hero so far. I, I sort of get most of its systems now, unless they really throw me for another loop, you know. Yeah, another uh, loop. Uh, uh, uh-huh. uh, but but it's it's an interesting game, and you know, might, might as well get it out of the way too. But I, I'm very surprised that like it's caught on to the point that they've already sold five hundred thousand units uh, just announced recently. Like in a week, that's pretty nice. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like a fifteen dollars game, so it's not like it's a full price thing, but still, it word of mouth is great. Yeah, and I, I, Devolver Digital is publishing it. I don't know the developer's name off the top of my head, but congratulations to them. You know, Four quarters, overwhelmingly very, positive on Steam. Yeah, so it's a very cool game. I I have a copy of this, and I'm going to try to find some time to play it this weekend. Then you'll understand. It's like, oh, but everything they said makes sense. God, yes. I, I don't know. I've been running the treadmill of like games that are very difficult to explain. Like, Nosy is different to explain. 13 Sentinels is different, <laughs> difficult to explain. And now, <laughs> well, 13 Sentinels, you did a good enough job because you got me to play it and I liked it. All right. So, does anyone else have any other games that they played this week before we go on into the um, news section? All right, moving on. I think we're good. So uh, this week, there was no major headline. So the order here is going to be a bit random. At the top, we are going to talk about Kuro no Kiseki. So this is the newest upcoming entry to the larger Trails series following Trails in the Sky, uh, Trails of Cold Steel. And we don't know what the English name will be for Kuro no Kiseki. Its official website went live in Japan earlier this week. We got our first information on some of the characters uh like their names and their affiliations we got a glimpse of the kind of the two-part battle system because it does do the hybrid action slash turn base similar to final fantasy 7 remake uh we got a bit of screenshots of the locations in calvard where it takes place so yeah, i don't know like where do we calvard arc people have been wanting calvard for the longest time yeah, because obviously it was a it was a big focus even early on. Like one of the party members, Zin, of the f- first trilogy of games was you know kind of the uh, I don't know, mascot's not the right word like the the uh, representative from that area. And here we are, fifteen years Zin. later or so, 
Yeah. Was it Zen or Zane? I know they changed the name. Part it was. It's Zen now. Uh, yeah. So uh, it used to be Zane. Like in, in the in the first localizations of it, it was Zane. Hummel became. They eventually Hummel just decided that. that name was actually poorly. Like Zen is the more accurate translation, so they actually just re. They fixed. They edited it to be Zin always. So, I think yeah. they were trying to give them more Western-sounding names, and it just didn't work out because they're they're like the Eastern Oriental side, right? Yeah, they're yeah. they're they're they're, they're kind of like the generalized East Asian sort of style to it. Um, so I guess how do we how do we unpeel this onion? Like, what do we think of what well, we've seen so we far? Finally, we finally got the official names for the like. Uh, announced characters like the the the, the all right we'll start with characters yeah so the guy the at the forefront of this the one of the blue coat and the 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 gnarly hairstyle his name is van archide uh age 24 i i swear when i when i when i read that, I, like, I, I, right. I, I, yeah. where, where do the where does the syllable split is it archide or archide <laughs> yeah i don't know uh, i think the I, I think the japanese website actually has like the english name written out they do that and then I cry and, for you. Like the song. And, and then the other lady that was uh, uh, one of the other two main characters that was uh, revealed, the one with the red beret, blonde hair. Her name's Agnes Claudel, age 16. And she has the. That, the that sounds. There's there. something about that that just sounds like, yep, that's a Kaseki name, Agnes Claudel. That, like, <laughs> if, if I was given that name on a blank sheet of paper, I'm like, is this a Kaseki character? There's something about it. Yeah. There were other um, two new other characters that were. Actually, the other one, one of them was isn't actually too new, but the the one that was like brand new, never seen uh, seen before, was this thirteen uh, year old girl who has like a like a long scarf, um, and like has blue hair and like a, a headband over it. Uh, I think her name was Fairy Alfayed, Fayed, Fayed, mm-hmm. uh, and then she has a sword and then whatnot. And the other one, the the other one um, was initially revealed as. Part of the collector's edition for Hajimari no Kiseki, they kind of gave like this um, special illustration teasing the this uh, Kuro no Kiseki, this Calvard arc. Uh, uh, everyone at the, at the time kind of thought he'd be the main character because that's the the first like indication of what it was. Okay, he looked he looked he looks sort of like Crimson King in uh in Yeast Nine, <laughs> but uh, his uh, he's his name is Aaron Way, age nineteen, and. Um, he, he's a his weapon is called the twin fencer. He's kind of like a dual blades type of guy. And is this like a big story thing? I haven't played Use Nine because it would be like Crimson King. He looks kind of like he 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 he, he looks kind of like it. Yeah, like a, it's a like it's a bit it's a that that's the premise of uh, East Nine is Adol can transform into the Crimson King. Yeah, in it, that kind of like a super. I know people were joking that like this is where this is where the East stories and Kaseki stories will merge. The Adol's actually a Kaseki character the whole time or something. But no, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, they had the uh, merge of other storylines first. It'll be in Nayuta, no Kaseki first. Oh boy, and yeah, they're releasing like a remaster of that soon in Japan. So the other uh, tidbit about these characters is they're teasing the other uh, four more characters to be announced in Kuro no Kaseki soon, and their ages are. 20, 15, 22, and 69. It is. It's, yeah, so the, the main character, uh, what was his name again? Arkride was the last name. Van. Van. Uh, so he's 24, which is the oldest any Kaseki character has started out as for protagonist. How old is, how old think, is Kevin in, in third? Oh, that's a good question. How old is he? He was the oldest so far. 
It but, used to be oldest as Kevin to start with. Yeah, that's I exactly was thinking just Estelle, Estelle, Reen, and Lloyd. Because they're all teenagers. But Kevin is not. But there's a popularity polls that they've done recently, and Kevin didn't even make it to the list. Kind of oh, no. sad. Apparently, apparently yeah. Kevin was. This is according to Legend of Heroes at Fandom.com. So I don't know who how how reliable that is, but apparently 22 in third. Okay. So still, oh, so still it, younger. Yeah, so yeah. The, so the normal the normal gamut of ages here are still late teens, early twenties, with the one sixty nine year old in there. But I know we've seen other JRPGs do that. Like one of the t- trails, uh, uh, not trails, tales of Gila games has like Rowan or whatever. Like I don't know, that doesn't. Hey, Rowan is too a much. cool character in my opinion. I guess I do have like Malik as like your kind of thirty ish year old guy. And I, I think the other Anyways, is talking uh, about the series we're actually talking about. Yeah, the the other things that they showed off for Kurenikiseki is the capital city of Calvert Republic, uh, the Edith. And this is uh, this is very uh, reminiscent of what you might find uh, in uh, Crossbell, but it's more metropolitan. It's it's kind of more what you'd find in in a modern city. They actually have cars. Uh, they have like the kind of it kind of looks a little bit like New York uh, urban style. Mm-hmm. Uh, environment and you know uh that they showed off uh, a little bit of video clips of how the um battle system is going to work because uh, when they had the official site go up that they were showing like brief clips about how it looks in motion and whatnot and it kind of looks pretty slick i i kind of like what they're doing with it i was i was surprised at how seamlessly the action battle system and the turn-based battle system switched together like i didn't even, even notice it at first when they went when they switched over to the turn-based side. There are some parts of it that still look sort of stiff. Like some of the enemies were like pivot in place to face character. And then like, if you watch like the feet of your allied party members, like when you're like locked on to an enemy, they're like doing this weird, like crab walk strafe. So yeah. where it's like, I'm sure this is early and it'll be cleaned up. And like, I'm totally nitpicking. It looks like better than I thought it would after them doing, you know, the same kind of similar, turn-based positioning style battle system for a long time now and yeah yeah that, that, the, that, the that broadly gets to like my overall thoughts on this is that i think this series kind of needed just to try something different and new just just shake it up a bit just because like we had four cold steel games that kind of all work the same way i know each one like added a small little gimmick but they're basically the same and then hajimari I haven't played yet because not in english yet is you know still pretty similar and it's honestly not that much different from what trails in the sky did you know more than a decade ago so i think it is kind of nice just they're trying something a little bit new and a little bit different um with how the combat works here and the fact that this this whole the cast of the whole series has been bloating for a long time now and obviously that's still there but i'm kind of hoping this game kind of just if we focus on this new cast and maybe they can like get you know a little bit more focus a little bit more you know development on these characters specifically before we introduce them to like the gigantic cast of characters yeah just just wait like, until i think Kronos like, like, a, like a software where they start yeah. uh, doing all the cameos and bloating it back up again yeah i, I, I think really we mentioned this how cameos, but you know I, I think they mentioned how um I think he was, uh, tell me if this was a mistranslation, but at the time when this game was originally announced, they said like, if this game doesn't do well, we will not do this again in terms of like the follow-up. Like it it feels like they're, they were a little bit hesitant on like, we know we're changing things up, but we're not sure how, how the fan base is going to take to it. Do you remember Mm -hmm. that? 
Yeah, I, rem- I remember that. Yeah, I, I don't think anything, it's the, anything has come out that debunked that. They, they said that this whole series is dependent on, on like, like selling consistently, like doing at the very least the general same numbers, the average. Like if it if it ever like dipped down drastically, uh, then they were like, we're not gonna do it anymore. Because I like it, it, that that makes sense because this series like really depends on a loyal fan base to keep on uh, keeping it like steady. Like there's, I, I can't imagine like this. I don't know if it'll find like new players. Maybe it will now that it's like like it's a new entry. Yeah, yeah. because. because because um, it was an interesting st- statistic, but that uh, but it makes sense in retrospect. Like, Falcom had their 40th anniversary stream, and they uh, held surveys, you know, on various questions. On like, what was your first Falcom game? What was your favorite? What's your favorite character and whatnot? And I think it ranked either second or third as their first Falcom game. But Trails of Cold Steel One was for a lot of people who took that survey. That was their first Falcom game. So mm-hmm. uh, obviously, like the kind of the soft reboot that Trails of Cold Steel did, which in retrospect wasn't, um, that you know that got them into the series, and you would hope that the people who got into it, you know, played the prior games to uh, to better understand, like you know, what Trails of Cold Steel three and four and Hajimari did, because th- those are entries that playing older games is now vital to understanding their story. I mean, you have to you have to imagine that like there are teen there are current day teenagers that were only like seven or eight years old or whatever when the first Cold Steel game came out, mm-hmm. and like there's a potential fan base there that's like we want these people to play these games, but maybe they just never got around to them because they were too young or whatever. And like so, they, every once in a while, they kind of have to do this like new arc where it's like we hope our, our our existing fan base continues to play it, and we want new players to jump in here, and maybe they'll go back and play the older ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think this sort of mood was this sort of move was definitely necessary. And yeah. especially for a long running series. And uh, we'll the see thing you, what happens. The thing you mentioned earlier, this is actually uh something posted on Silicon Era in December from Kazuma Hashimoto, who has previously contributed to RPG site, uh said it was mentioned that if this next installment underperforms, referring to Kurono Kaseki, there will not be a sequel. So I do trust Kazuma's translation, so you still have to wonder, like, what's the context in which the statement was made? How coy is he being? Just because he says there's not a sequel doesn't signify any larger implications for the series as a whole. So there's still like a lot of like footnotes you got to right. put in there. Yeah, I think it'll be like it'll be like zero no Kiseki, because um, in that game it has a pretty self-contained story by the end of it. So it's if a they... really good game, so you would hope that if it is going to follow in that footsteps, that's that's really um encouraging because you know it's like a self-contained story if there was no sequel it it has a pretty satisfying conclusion right so you'll be like oh yeah uh, i'm okay with that but if the game sells well they could make a sequel and it'll be like oh i'll know kiseki right so yeah yeah i think uh, like at the time like aono kiseki being announced was surprising because as yeah as you mentioned zero no kiseki had a pretty conclusive finale um and like it was self-contained as you said so like you know Aono Kiseki being a follow-up was like, oh, they're going to revisit this again. Cool. I mean, Aono Kiseki is really good. Um, I think it's really, I don't know, we're going to have to reserve judgment for the final product, obviously, and how this actually performs technically on a console. But it it seems like the results of the new engine that Falcom is using for Kuro Kiseki seem promising. The visuals are really clean. I really like what they've shown so far of that. And 
you know, if this is the engine that they're going to use going forward for all their titles, like imagining what East would look like on this engine, like that's that's um, really promising because East Nine is definitely visually rough in a lot of respects. Now, one thing that's interesting is that Chrono Kaseki technically doesn't have platforms announced yet. Right. So right. who knows if it'll be like PS4, PS5, maybe they'll do a Switch version. I don't know if the new engine is okay, wait, on till, Switch. wait till 2023 right. with <laughs> with Nice America. But yeah, uh, uh, we can I know like Hajimari is actually technically Hajimari is already getting a PC port in China. Um I mean, they've done that with a few of their games, but like uh who knows what what they kind of plan on doing i know when um when cold seal 3 released and it was ps4 only it was a little bit of a sluggish selling game for them because of did i say ps3 i meant ps4 um it was a sluggish game for them because it was no longer on vita no longer on ps3 uh and so the fan base you know they're, they're literally limiting you know the platform base that could buy it so i'm sure it's done fine since then but they had to make that decision to kind of go new platform only. So who knows what they'll do going forward? And you basically and you, lost half your fan base because you you'd be like, oh yeah, it's like, yeah. I, I mean, it would it would be an even harder sell if they were to like decide Corona Kiseki is like a PS5 exclusive because PS5s yeah. are still, especially in Japan, it's still pretty hard to find a PS5. Like, yeah, I doubt it will be, but eventually yeah. there's going to be a game that's no longer going to come on PS4. You know, eventually. Well. Just tell them to go back to PC, go back to their roots. I know. Well, you, you look like, at like this, the media create like sales number in Japan, and it's this is I know this is a very generalized statement, but just how much dominance the Switch has had there. Just, yeah. just, just the, like the home consoles in general, there have kind of been like I don't want to say struggling, but they kind of have like a low ceiling and just like how much presence they have. Yeah, so, because the, the it because like Switch is like the only modern handheld platform or allows for handheld play now and that's a big thing in japan like you know when you think back like psp always did well in japan ds and 3ds insane yeah just the environment they're in i mean they often like take trains to commute to work or whatever so it'll be like oh this is my spare gaming time it's at the train so yeah so the it, it makes sense now that like uh, push comes to shove, PS5 and Xbox Series X don't have like their companion, or uh, Microsoft never did it, but Sony doesn't have a handheld presence anymore. Nintendo's the only one that has that, and it's their, their main thing too. So, you know, of course, Switch would do super well in, in that context. But, you know, it's ho- hopefully out from the get go, Corona does come to Switch. Now you don't have to wait for mm-hmm. a later version. Now, that, that's the hope. And also announced that their 40th anniversary live stream at Falcom, they announced uh, that uh, Trails of Cold Steel is getting some sort of TV anime project, completing mm-hmm. the circle now that Trails of Cold Steel already felt like an anime. Now <laughs> it really is an anime. I or think there's actually a strategy. I think this is not like super insightful, but stuff like this, as well as like the, the World Ends With You anime, uh, is I feel like not only are those perhaps just you know, money-making opp- opportunities to begin with, but it's kind of like opportunistic. Hey, we have a new game coming out, whether it's Kurono Kaseki or The World Ends With You 2. Like, if you haven't played the games that come before it, you could always watch the anime as like a shorter, more condensed version of it to catch you up. It's that like kind of like a selling point. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, yeah. I it's more like a kind of like a medium just to like promote their other products, kind of like maybe. Well, um, that too, it's kind of a double purpose, right? Like watch, there might be people who are interested in the game, but want to watch the anime to catch up. And then there might be people who just watch the anime, even though they have no idea what it's about. And like, hey, I like that. Hey, there's a game coming out, you know? So and there, yeah, and there's also like just tremendous merchandise opportunities to have right. that. Like, like whenever you get a, like a TV anime project, like you're just thinking of like, oh, I'm going to get so many partnership deals. Like I'll have like so many like fig announcements or so many other avenues to like promote this as well i think it's interesting though with this uh trails of cold steel uh one in particular unlike the world ends with you that's actually adapting the events of the game into tv anime there's been like talk of the way that it's been uh worded around this project where the trails of cold steel one might be like an all-new original anime that like take yeah portrays like events that weren't like maybe in the game or a different perspective or whatnot it's hard to say at this point whether you know how they're gonna do it um the ones there's no studio there's no studio um announced yet for this like obviously it's already been decided on behind the scenes but they're not ready to announce it but the ones that brought this like the partners that are bringing this to life are like user joy which are the ones um uh running their gotcha uh, game yeah yeah user joy is like the ones behind akatsuki nukiseki the gotcha game and also the the chinese ports for the you know of all the Falcom. These games yeah. Six was it that that recent and was it Arcade? I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know if user joy is behind that one, but I know like for Hajimari and the Trails of Cold Steel, like PC ports in Ch- in Chinese, like they're the ones behind that. I think like the original uh memories of Salsetta PC port was that too, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, like before XC did their own, they had one. Right. In China yeah. or, so they, they, or whatever they have a long they have a long standing partnership with Falcom in uh, their, their general Chinese presence. And also um Funimation uh, is also directly involved with this Trails of Cold Steel uh, anime announcement, like their global branch and whatnot. So whatever uh, I just hope I'm not being pessimistic, but it's like I haven't seen many decent like anime adaptation from that are based or rpgs i think the only good anime adaptation i ever seen was a street fighter 2 movie from <laughs> from the 90s that the anime not the not the, not the real life one with but we're talking like the 90s. there are certain adaptations that seem to just come and go and i don't like hear much about them like persona 5 like is that anime any good it was okay but you know like you know it's a condensed version so i think yeah. i think the the coolest part about the persona 5 ones was uh their their openings their openings were really good that, that but i like do a know that compliment to me though where it's like at least the opening was good it's like well, what about yeah, the I, mean, I, show? <laughs> I mean i can't what? say much about the show I, I watched the show and i'm like ah, it's okay i guess but the openings were cool <laughs> one anime that seems to be like perhaps even preferable to playing the game like in all in all respects is i guess tales of zesteria because that game is shit anime over the game that's yeah exactly that's exactly what i was saying yeah that's a that's a good that's a good yeah i totally forgot that happened but yeah ufo table really did well with that like i'm just thinking like some really bad ones back in the day like we got the tales in turnia anime does anyone remember that one i remember that hey xeno saga i got an anime Oh is yeah, is Attorney were... anime any good? What? No. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't Ace Attorney get two seasons even? I think so, but I but I I watched like a bit of the first season, like we halfway, and I was like, oh, this is funny. But there's a Star Ocean really anime good. as well, Star Ocean X. Okay, that one is really funny because it only like 
it catches like a very yeah, like maybe not even maybe like a third of the first game, and like I forgot exactly where it stopped, but it it was definitely not the entire game. It was only a small portion. Where's my sequel? I was like, I, I'm looking forward to get to that location. Jeez, man, there is yeah. the uh, Castlevania call it an anime if you want, even though it's not created in Japan like completely, but that yeah, that's, that's done well. That's that's pretty done well. I don't know if it really depicts the event. Like it doesn't really. It's its own thing though. Really. Yeah, it, it's kind of like it, its own spin on thing. I mean, yeah. like, mm-hmm. like even the character designs are quite different. Like, um, Isaac or whatever, he, he yeah. looks totally different from his game counterpart. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm I'm looking forward to the world ends with you one because the, the not even just like uh, hoping they they adapt they adapt the game faithfully. Like I'm hoping that's the case, but this the the visuals of it really strike out. Like they're very being very faithful. It to, has like, a unique style. Yeah, like when people said, "Oh, like a good chunk of this is CG," is like, "Are you kidding me? This CG? Wow!" Mm-hmm. Are there any other final thoughts back, uh, reeling it back to Chrono Kaseki? The only thing that I see that was detailed on the website that we haven't mentioned yet is basically what is Van's role, what's his affiliation. Uh, this is according to the translation from Gamatsu. Not but it's Yeah, basically, they're the Spriggans or Spriggan. I don't know if it's plural or not, which basically are like detective negotiators, bounty hunters for like underground job requests where bracers are like the public facing, you know, guild that everyone like respects and looks up to. These are like they do the dirty work. <laughs> They're not the SSS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a it's a weird combination of like what your role is in like in the Zero and Hour series, where you're like a, like an actual detective agency, kind of like Hops, and like and and obviously with the the Trails in the Sky series, where like you're bracers, you're, you're kind of like freelancers almost, but you're having association. And pe- people joke how it's like in throughout the Trail series, like you're bracers, and then you're just like police bracers and then you're like school bracers and now we're <laughs> like underground bracers yeah <laughs> so there you go that's a good way to put it yeah <laughs> it, 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 and it works with the gameplay system like this is why people ask you to do quests and why you go exploring and things like that so and why and why we can still like do this weird gamey thing of like rating you up. at the yeah. end of chapters <laughs> yeah. and giving you and giving you like a letter grade <laughs> No, I just love like you miss all the side quests for for zero, and it just makes Lloyd look like a complete dude. <laughs> I need I, I need to I need to play those now that uh they've got the fan translation from the uh I was sending in that group. But he, he is like a total smartass yeah. if you're like did all the side quests right. It's like he's like ace detective now. You know, it's just like totally different. On the other side of the pond, the other big news of the week and this is kind of a more general topic is that the acquisition of bethesda by microsoft is basically now complete final signed off on stamped sealed and the first result from that is that a ton of bethesda games including several rpgs are now available on game pass across pc console and xcloud so this includes like Elder Scrolls 3, 4, and 5, Elder Scrolls Online, Fallout 4, 76, New Vegas, as well as Prey, which is not really an RPG, but is a really great game. You should play it. Uh, Doom, Dishonored, Wolfenstein. So I don't know if we have any other comments on that. Uh, there's there's kind of been a lot of will they, won't they in terms of big announcements. Like they had a kind of a roundtable discussion a couple days ago, which was just kind of like going across the backgrounds of the deal and everything like that. I mean that's great for Game Pass users for sure. That's a, that's a hell of a library to just 
get dumped on you on, on one day. It's like there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of games that like you can just check out, see if they're for you. And if not, then cool. You know, that's uh that's amazing. I'm I'm really excited for like to see where this partnership goes and uh, what that'll entail. Like it's uh it's one of the biggest, if not the biggest, acquisitions in video games of all time. And Adam, you can finally, uh, if you have a Game Pass, you can play Skyrim, and you can finally make the comparisons to Romancing Saga, legitimately. Well, at least he's missing out on Elder Scrolls Online. I've heard Elder Scrolls Online is actually like it started out in a really rocky place, and they actually had—I forget if it was like a blog post or a newsletter where they kind of like actually had a bit of a reminiscence where they said, "Yes, we know we struggled out the gate, but you know, over the years they've kind of." really turn the ship around and you might say that's them patting themselves on the back but uh, i see a lot of good talk about it and i do kind of want to get into it and i do know that people kind of poo-poo on skyrim for being like dumbed down or casualized but i just when i when i play those games or even recent fallout games there's no one else is really making those sorts of games at least not to the same scale so i do think that like i am glad that bethesda is around making those even if it takes a decade between entries. I I should also go like I, this is the theme of theme of the podcast so far, but I do want to go back and play like Oblivion at some point because I do hear so many good things about it. But that like I wasn't quite as big into Western RPGs when Morrowind and Oblivion were the hot topics. Are you gonna say something, Adam? No. Oh yeah. I guess people aren't it's, interested it's, in this, so maybe we'll I mean it's cool up. to see like Zenimax online studios turn the ship around on elder schools online and it continued to grow like they got i think i think they recently mentioned they got three million new subscribers like last year yeah 2020 alone so i mean i think it's perfectly fine to be happy like you know that we're able to pull through it wasn't easy and sure people may uh, interpret it as a like, pain themselves on the back but you know they should they're, it's their it's their main product it's their main thing that they're working on you don't want them to like everyone's everyone's benefiting at the end like the player base seems to be perfectly happy with what they're doing these days and that's that's fine you know let, let a game be as healthy as it is and be happy for them i just hope so i'm probably one of the more western rpg focused contributors to the site and i just hope we're at a place in like five years or so where we can jump from Obsidian to Inexile to Bethesda to CD Projekt, hopefully kind of gets things turned around. And we have like a good, strong, consistent slate rather than kind of having like these droughts of where we have to talk about the, the dire situation with like Bloodlines 2 and stuff that we had to talk about a couple of weeks ago. So hopefully we're on the path towards a situation yeah, like I, that. I, I want to see a resurgence. I hope Unavowed is like amazing, you know. I, I really, I'm really pulling through for that. Uh, in the Obsidian side. Okay, I don't know how we're going to segue to this next one, but during a Game Live Japan stream about a week ago at this point, we got an announcement for a surprise crossover that I don't think anyone was expecting. We've got Sunran Kangura meets Hyperdimension Neptunia in Senran Ninja, sorry, Senran Ninja Ninja Tizen Neptune. So wow, that's a mouthful. Yeah, I'm sorry yeah. that I couldn't get it out my first try. <laughs> so. the, the, the 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 sad part is like that's not even like the full title of this too. It's like Senran Ninja Ninja Tizen Neptune colon Shoujo Tachi no Kyoen. Uh, 
<laughs> read that and fail that test. And then the, the 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 genre for this is um, described as a net net ninja wars action RPG. Um, yeah, so this was this was a part of the trio of like game scoops that the Dengeki and Famitsu were advertising for this game live Japan. One was like new characters for Samurai Warriors Five. Um, the other was like a Q and A session for Project Triangle Strategy that didn't really reveal anything new about that game it's more of a what did you enjoy and like uh what what the amount of players went through this path like you know yeah it was like there's nothing really new it was like oh okay but yeah this is um kind of on the senran kagura engine that estival versus burst renewal were on kind of that fast-paced action rpg but now you can uh, play with the neptunia characters as well and they all interact uh, in the story premise uh, they they showed off like you know Neptune's new outfits in, both in her uh, base form and her goddess form. Obviously, they're more kind of a kuno kunoichi st- style uh, thing where they're like female ninjas. Uh, so they get new outfits. The Senra Kagura characters seem to be in their old outfits. They nothing new for them. But uh, for a lot like the Senra Kagura fan base seemed to be very excited at least because they were fully expecting not getting a new Senran Kagura. Uh, game at all ever since uh the Kenichiro Takaki's departure from Marvelous because uh he he departed I think back in 2019 to Psy Games and um the the last thing that he put out as like a contractual obligation with Marvelous was that Kandagawa Jet Girls game that had both an anime adaptation and a game and does like a cross-media project and whatnot and like I you know it's not really my thing but I don't know if people really warmed up to that or not. Uh, I, I couldn't say, but you know, Takaki since then is still at Side Games. He's uh, like a producer at Project Awakening, I think, and is somewhat has somewhat of like an advisory role at like Grand Blue Fantasy, the fighting game versus and the upcoming RPG uh, Relink. So he's still there, as far as I know. So I don't know if he's like involved at all with this. He has to be, I imagine, just another partnership deal with marvelous um and and people are uh, i don't know i mean it seems okay i guess seems cool i mean it won't be like they're alive right like like itagaki you know how he's gone like they kicked him out and you know it's like it's my baby they can't ruin my friend oh, yeah, yeah maybe he isn't i don't know i don't know if he has any involvement with this but they you know they should showed off just very the very small tidbits of like the uh, of this game like obviously it's an action rpg so it's very fast paced. You have the adventure parts where they're, um, the Neptunia cast and the Senra Kagura cast are interacting. They only showed off, um, I already forgot the Senra Kagura character's name, but they showed uh, off Asuka. Asuka, yeah. Um, they've only confirmed those two. They're, uh, they're teasing like, you know, a brand new original character for this game. Yeah, they even got the voice actress to promote her. It's like, oh, she wears black and she's a princess like character. And that's all I can tell you. It's like, oh, yeah, okay. she's, yeah, it's, uh, it's Miko Ito. Um, she's kind of a rising star in the voice acting space. A lot of people love her role as Kokoro from Princess Connect because she has a very soft voice. And, and she plays the best. Uh, what is that word? As a twin, technically, quad, quad twin blitz or whatever that show is called, The Best Girl. Oh, uh, the the um, oh, not not the Omega Quintets. Uh, the I forgot. I know what you're talking about the In Miku. Uh, yeah, the the quintessential quintuplets, right? Yeah, I don't know what you would call one of the siblings. Do you would call them a twin? No, they're not twin. But yeah, she's one of the quintuplets of the the the, the cast. Like, yeah, so yeah. that's uh, she's a very popular voice actress. There's 
anyone's in the anime scene, they'll know what you wrote. Yeah, I guess I guess the 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 for me the most like enticing part about like you know the Senran Kagura cast and the Tunia cast like interacting is you can have like say you jokes because uh, Asami Amai uh, voices Noir and um, what was her uh, I forgot her her role in Senran Kagura like Ida I forgot already but uh, like you can have like that that sort of joke of like oh she's voicing both of these characters and that Asami Amai is pretty cool I like I like her as a voice actress. So I don't know. They're they're gonna say more about the about it at the next month's weekly Famitsu issue, like around April eighth and whatnot. And we'll they'll share more details. It was like a very early announcement, so I'm like, oh, I guess, sure, why not? You know, and it'll probably get localized, and we'll see. We got a few release dates for upcoming games and DLCs. Uh, well, actually, this one isn't a release date, but more of a platform announcement that took us kind of by surprise. We got Monster Hunter Stories 2 will release on July 9th. And then day and date with the Nintendo Switch release, it also has a PC, a PC version. Yeah. So I don't think this is like really surprising because we heard we kind of learned through the back door that Monster Hunter uh, Rise will get a PC version. Uh, and it just seems like with as much of a splash as World made on PC, it seems like smart for them. I know Monster Hunter Stories 2 is more of a like a, a Pokemon-esque RPG and less of a traditional Monster Hunter game. But I saw this and it was like surprising for like a split second. Like, you know what? That actually makes a lot of sense. So I think the trailer for this looks really kind of fun. Uh, I've never played the original Monster Hunter Stories. Has it, have either of you played it or any of you? I don't uh, play any of them, to be honest. I played them. They're, they're okay. I don't really like the combat system in the first story, so I'm hoping they'll. Oh, the 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 hope is that you know it'll be a better battle system this time around. Um, I'm waiting for it to see like what they haven't really shown what the combat system is in this game yet. But I'm, you know, it's uh. This is it's, we need James here to share his views on the Monster Hunter. The expert's not here today. <laughs> it's a but it's exciting, you know, like uh just a day and date for the PC release. They also uh showed off that the stories two is gonna have like multiplayer quests, like co-op quests and whatnot. So uh, it's yeah. gonna get amiibo. It's true. Oh wow, yeah. yeah. yeah what year I don't, is it? I don't know. I don't know what they're doing with amiibo these days, man. Uh, AI for Smash. Can we confirm that Monster Hunters and Smash? <laughs> No, they, 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 aren't they in it? But like, as the amiibo skins, costumes for the fighters, the me fighters, I think that's their how far they're gonna go with that. But sure, why not? I, I'm looking forward to it. I'll probably play it and see if it's cool. We've got that Dragon Ball Z Kakarot, the surprise RPG from early last year is its last DLC that we were expecting ended up being something that we weren't expecting. It's going to be a future trunks, Mirai trunks, whatever naming you want to use focused DLC called trunks, the warrior of hope, which means the full title ends up being this mouthful dragon ball Z Kakarot trunks, <laughs> the warrior of hope it's launching this summer. So focusing on like uh, the events of uh, that OVA, is OVA the right term? I know some people call it a movie, but it's not quite a movie. Yeah, it's like it's a special. Like OVA. It's not really a full movie feature-length film. It's like a short OVA. Uh, like, there's two different versions, I, I guess you could say. You could say... The History of Trunks uh, is what I wanted to say is what it's called. 
But yeah, it's um, I, I think people were expecting it to go maybe into super or something or like that. But, and the, black. Yeah, or yeah, the black arc or something like that. But nope, it's going to be History of Trunks, which I don't know. It's kind of seeming seems like it's a, a safe it choice. It makes more sense because it says it's called Dragon Ball Z, right? So <laughs> well, I, remember, like... I remember when this game was first announced, people were surprised that they it wasn't just generalized dragon ball it was specifically branded dragon ball z where it's like okay i guess that's kind of the crowd they're going for the nostalgic you know i watched this in middle school on toonami or whatever crowd uh so uh i kind of wish george was here because i feel like he's the only one that's truly interested in this but i don't know he, he had some pretty positive thoughts on the game uh i i, I mostly hear that basically the base game of kakarot it's like very front loaded where by the time you get to like the later arcs, you can just feel the budget and inspiration just like fall out from under it. So yeah, that's what I heard too. It's like an uneven experience. Like it, it it had like so much potential with like the way they kind of meticulously crafted, like, you know, the Frieza arc, for example, it's like, Oh yeah, this is great. How they're showing this, like in cutscenes and whatnot. And it feels like, it feels like I'm really participating in it. And then by the time you get the boo, it's like, Oh, going to the motions. Like yeah. I'm, I'm really into like Dragon Ball, like the manga and the anime, but I am not a fan of their video games. So I always ask you, did they actually get all the way to the Boo arc in this? Or they yeah, just... they did. Uh, I remember when this game was first announced, people were like dead sure that it would only go to Frieza because that's kind of like what they originally shown. And then eventually they kind of like le- not leaked out. They marketed, nope, it's got androids. Nope, it's got blue, but then it ended up being that those uh, last two arcs were like really thin on the ground. Uh, and then the first two DLCs kind of touched into like some super boss fights, but that was pretty much it as far as I know. And they never really because I guess those uh, those first two movies that got readapted into super are actually branded as like Dragon Ball Z movies. So you, you're kind of like not. Not I still remember. I, I posted just one of the news updates on those DLCs, and I I think I just mentioned casually like the first DLC is based off the uh, the you know the first arc in Dragon Ball Super, and they're like one of the comments is like, no, it's based off the movie. Okay. <laughs> Actually, Battle of Gods is a Dragon Ball Z movie. <laughs> it's like, oh come on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like I yeah, yeah you're, you're, you're technically correct, but come on. <laughs> You're technically correct. The worst kind of correct. Uh, so maybe we'll get George to talk about this once he's played it. And hopefully it ends up being a bigger deal than the first two DLCs. But I guess now we're kind of at the point where it's like, uh, what's next for Dragon Ball? Both in terms of anime, because they've got the manga still going. And I've heard people say that the current arc is actually decent. But I've heard that a few times <laughs> before uh, the current a offer. A lot of Toyotaro. People say it's good. Then you're looking. Oh, I think they just overhyped it. Well, I've actually uh, seen in a few places that there's like a Toyotaro cycle now where it's like, man, this premise is interesting. Wow, these characters are cool. And then it just like shits the bed. And then the next arc starts and then it repeats. So it'll be interesting to see if those end up leaving the uh, the manga and showing up either in anime or games. Arc Dragon Ball Z Fighters 2. Will we start to see like Top, Topo and all the other characters eventually? We'll see. Yeah, well, I mean, they they recently released like the last character of the season pass two of Dragon Ball Fighters. Like they had that the Super Saiyan four Gogeta, and the, but they haven't really they didn't announce anything else past that. So they might be, maybe who knows? But they might be starting to sunset the uh, fighters, and we'll see where we'll see where it leads them. Uh, like I don't know if they if they if Arc System Works has time to work on fighters because they're working on that um 
dungeon fighter online fighting game right now. Man, along they with, have their hands full. I mean, with, are they trying to release Strife in like two months? Yeah, they recently delayed it to June, and they stopped to work on the season pass content for Strive as well. So, who knows? I do wonder if that's like telling that the last character that they went to is they just went back to like the GT well, like then rather than like a new character, like oh y'all y'all like Vegeta, right? Super Saiyan Four from the late nineties yeah, or whatever. <laughs> like, they don't have much characters in the Dragon Ball franchise, to be honest. I think like well, not like strong characters. Like they just don't want to go back with the original Dragon Ball because no one seems to remember them now. I mean, I am like, I am glad that they did instead of always escalating to like movie or new characters they're like, you know what? Roshi deserves a spot. And then one of the, one of the second set of characters was a Roshi. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah. I'm glad that they did that. That seems like valid. We also got a release date for record of Lotus war deed lit and wonder labyrinth, which is the Castlevania, like Metroidvania, whatever verbiage you dislike the least, uh, is releasing on March 27th on PC. Right now it's available in early access. They've updated what's been available in the early access period a few times. We actually did a, a video on this uh, late last year or middle of last year where James played through the early access of this game. And I think Chow was there too. So it's yeah, got a final I release actually date. played through the early access as well. So March 27th is not that long away. So uh, two weeks from today, actually. No, yeah, I'm, I'm excited, I'm excited to switch for it. Like, uh, I got the early access version just a few days ago because on discount, uh, that discount's ended now. But and I've been holding out to playing this game because I was like, I just want to play the full thing when it's out. I don't want to deal with the early access waiting for content. I didn't realize the discount had ended. Oh, no, I guess you can still get the discount. It's, it? uh, it's right now until it releases. So, yeah, if you get it right now, it's $12.99 US dollars. And then when it releases, it's going to be, what, 20 Oh, okay. Yes. I, I got so, a question. That's like they, they released Luna and Knight for the Switch. So I'm guessing there might be a Switch port on the rise. I just right, so yeah, like, the, the developer of this game take. is Team Ladybug, who also released uh Tuhu Luna Tuho Toho Toho Luna Toho. Nights. Yeah, so. I th- I got there that bundle that had the both the, the record of Lotus War and the Toho Luna Knights. They had like a bundle for it. I was like, you know, I'll just I'll just give it a shot. They said uh, because uh, people are saying you can like have a blast with Luna Knights. Without being a Toho fan, it's just a good game. Like, oh yeah, sure, why not? I think it's me with Toho. I I enjoy the games, but I have no care for the story. The story yeah. is just kind of like nonsense. And I, I, don't, I don't care for any of the characters or any like that. Like, so the music is cool. Like, they have like a lot of music, but I don't really care that much for Get involved it. Involved in the lore, yeah. like the lore is like I don't know what the hell is going on. Team Ladybug is also responsible for that uh, Shin Megami Tensei Deep Strange Journey bonus thing that they had in Japan. They had a like this, the, they created like a mini game for it called like uh, SMT Synchronicity or Synchronicity or something like that. They had like the Jack Frost as the main character, I think, and that was that, that was cute. And they also did um, the Konosuba uh, one, one. Yeah, the, yeah, the Konosuba God's blessing on this wonderful world. They got, it was like a Blu-ray bonus or something with one of the volumes in Japan as well. We got a release date for the final DLC for The Outer Worlds. The Outer Worlds Murder on Ariandos releases on March 17th. This is following up against uh, from Peril on Gorgon, which released last year. The last piece of content that we're aware of for Outer Worlds. So a game that I think we've all been kind of mostly lukewarm on, but I do kind of want to go back and play those two DLCs. Now, 
that they're both going to be released. A few other tiny notes here. Uh, these are just mostly like uh, sales milestones and one other footnote for uh, on a game that was announced in 2019. Loop Hero, which we talked about obviously at the at the top with uh, Josh and Adam, sold half a million on its first week of sale. So it seems to have found definitely a pretty big audience despite being kind of like a, an indie budget title on PC. So it's obviously pretty good. I, obviously, I think that's kind of due to uh, the strong word of mouth that it's had. Yeah, I, I don't know if, uh, exactly what happened to spark this, but like that's that's it was one of those things like, oh, is this cool? Okay, I guess I'll give it a shot. And that's kind of what got me that's to try really it. really impressive for a game that no one or for a brand new IP technically, right? Yeah, I was just, you know, I mean, it's by, by Devolver Digital published, like, usually published pretty cool titles. So that just really had, had a hand in it. But it must have been, like, word of mouth or Twitch or something like that to really explode. Yeah, just the PC space just seems to have, like, a lot of these things where, like, it depends on who gets to hold the megaphone, whether that megaphone is Twitch or Steam Discovery Tools or whatever, where games just end up, like, exploding. And it kind of in, like, a closed ecosystem where if you don't play on PC, if you're not, like, in that space, you might not hear about it. Like Valheim, and, for example, like, is, like, the, yeah. also the other one for this relief. They sold a bunch by now. <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, what's the Valheim total this week? Last I heard it was five million, but like is it six million by now? <laughs> no, I don't like, know. Potentially. Platform. If you could get like some kind of like a Twitch streamer that's popular to play it, you know, the game just kind of grows like randomly. Like, I mean, there's Among Us. I mean, that game came out like years before it got popular, and all of a sudden mm-hmm. someone starts streaming it and just grew. Another sales milestone, uh, 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim has totaled 400,000 sale, uh, physical sales and digital downloads. So, Yay! That's a, that's a pretty good milestone. I, I, I'm, I'm so excited to play that, but I just need to pick some time for it. You can do it. It's only 30 hours. Only 30 hours. Yeah, it's, can... it's, it's quote-unquote not my type of game, but I enjoyed it immensely. So... It's I'm gonna vouch for it, and I don't play these sorts of things. It's a really good game, and you should make time for it. I I have never played a bad vanilla game in my life. I'll just tell you straight that. Well, I mean, but there are certainly bad vanilla bear titles for sure. I mean, the original Odin Spear. Was, I I still enjoy the storyline. Yeah, I still enjoyed it too, but I I can't say that was like I don't know if it's like a good game. It's a, it was a unique game, but I don't know. It was a good game. It's still okay. I liked it though. We have a new development studio announcement for the upcoming undated Gothic remake. If you remember back in 2019, THQ Nordique had like this playable teaser demo thing where it was like a vehicle for feedback on whether or not they should be making it. Then eventually they kind of quickly announced that yes, they were going to go through with it, but without any other details. Uh, They show back up this year, this week, and basically said that I hope I pronounced this right. Alchemia Interactive, which is a new studio based in Barcelona, Spain, will be developing the Gothic remake. Uh, they're now hiring for multiple positions. Uh, it's, I don't know. This is always kind of interesting to me. I've never played Gothic. I have played Elex, which is from the same developers of the original Gothic. So I just think it's, you know, always having more more participants in this space of Western fantasy RPGs. It's always good. We don't want them all to be owned by Microsoft, right? <laughs> so uh, hmm. once this game, whenever 
whenever this game ends up becoming more of a concrete thing, because it sounds like obviously if they're just now announcing the studio and still hiring, that it's probably quite a while away. But always good to have, you know, more people in that space. It's kind of funny because like Gothic, the original Gothic seems to be like a seminal action RPG. If you were like grew up in Europe in the 90s, when did that original game come out? But it, it seems like there's like a certain contingent of people that this game is really important to them. 2001, so, so not quite the 90s. 2001, so not a little bit after the 90s, but like it seems like it's one of those types of games where it ha- definitely has a following. So the fact that it's being remade might be really interesting to some people. Also, some people I've seen people argue like this game didn't need to be remade sort of thing. Yeah. So it's interesting. Like, yeah. But when you mentioned that it, it reminds me of like how King, the King of fighters franchise is super big in Mexico. Like mm-hmm. when you think about like uh, the King of fighters scenes, like Mexico is like a very, like King, the King of fighters series series is like very important to Mexico. And like, because it, it was just like right place, right time type of deal where like uh, there's very fond memories and attachments to the King of Fighters series in that region. And like, it's, it's cool. You know, a lot of, like the competitive scene uh, for King of Fighters is usually in Mexico. I think, was it like, I think the King of Fighter franchise is just as popular in China over like the Street Fighter franchise in certain areas because of all the, like the pirated cabinets. Yeah, <laughs> they always had like King yeah. of Fighters, like ninety seven, yeah. ninety eight. So it's like it just kind of grew more in popularity there, right? Yeah, and you just say it was either super cheap or free, you know. So the thing is that the playable teaser for this, I don't think, got really great like response. Like it's like Steam right now says recent reviews are mixed. I guess the all reviews are mostly positive, but I know some people played it and said like what Adam said. They're kind of like purists, where they're like this doesn't feel like Gothic. Apparently, one thing is that the main character in the original game either I haven't played it, either doesn't talk or doesn't talk frequently. And apparently, in the remake, they talk a lot. And some people are like, "Shut up!" <laughs> oh yeah, I can, I can see that being a problem for sure. In general, I just this is this is very broad. But I just I am a sort of person where like I do not need my protagonist to like mumble to themselves like, "Oh, there must have been a battle here." Like, are there signs of a struggle in the ground? You know what game did a lot it. of this. Horizon oh, Zero. I, I, I could near, I could name a bunch. Witcher, Horizon. I'm okay with that as long as they don't talk too much about it. Um, I feel like certain stories sometimes less is more. So yes, for sure. Has any here anyone here played uh, Days Gone? I've heard like horror stories about like how Deacon like screams and like curses to himself or whatever. I haven't seen it, but I've watched like, you know, let like, you know, streams of it. And yeah, that that's a very talkative protagonist here. How about this? In the new decade, let's give ourselves a like speech frequency slider for main characters. So I could just tilt it all the way down and I don't have to hear them like chirping to themselves and like pretending the uh, player is just dumb and needs that sort of guidance. This is a kind of breaking news that Adam or Josh will have to elucidate on a bit, but there was recent announcements, several for the Metal Max series as part of the 30th anniversary live stream announcements. And I feel like I'm just going to hand this off right now before I butcher what was announced here. So, Josh. Well, to be honest, they didn't really announce like a lot of like hard details. They previously announced Metal Max Xeno Reborn 2. Nothing about it, just that it exists. And now they've announced that it's going to be titled Metal Max Wild West. 
that's still all we really know. Like, okay, just the title. We don't really know anything else about it. It's coming to PS4 and Switch, but like, I guess it's a sequel to Xeno, but now that they changed the name, maybe it's not as direct a sequel. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. Who um, knows? There is a new roguelike, which they previously announced as a project. I forget what the project name was, but now it's called Metal Dogs. And it's a roguelike featuring like the dog characters from Metal Max Xeno in like a like a mystery dungeon sort of style of game. And yeah, it like, actually like, has like a Steam page, which is interesting. Yeah, um, it's like, it's like in English too. So it's going to get an English release, I guess. And like it'll come out as, as early access first. And th- this mm-hmm. reminds me of like what they did with uh, Katana Kami. That's a. Uh, of the way of the samurai spinoff, and that was like an isometric rogue like that I reviewed, and like that was, mm. that, was, that was a neat thing. And this this could be pretty cool. I mean, it's hard it's hard to say no to the premise of like you're playing the the dog in an yeah. isometric role like. It's like okay, sure, why not? And that, the third thing they announced was another Metal Saga project called Project Wolf, which all we know is nothing besides that. Yeah, it's uh, like tail logo. And then there, there's going to be a Metal Max, another stream on May 23rd that will probably release more details on all of these. I, um, I, let me just say that I played Metal Max Xeno, the original release. It got a re-release in Japan. I don't know if it'll get one in the West. You know, it's it came and went in Japan and no English localization. Did, but did I thought it, that game was not very good. <laughs> I'm trying to remember if they actually localized Xeno Reborn or whatever. No, or they didn't. Okay. Uh, Metal Max Xeno okay. released on PS4. And they did a Metal Max Xeno Reborn in Japan, which is on PS4 and Switch, I think. The main thing was is that it actually like changed the the graphics engine, so it like it's like it's like the same game, but like with the new rendering engine, so it looks different, but it's kind of got the same stuff underneath, and maybe some other tweaks here and there. It very slightly looks like more cell shaded isk. Yeah, but the one the one the one thing I will give the game is that you can customize your tank that you use and mm-hmm. that's pretty fun like you can like build some really cool like freeform tanks and how you basically how you can control what your tank does and your sort of strategy there is honestly okay but the rest of the game is just kind of really honestly pretty mediocre i hope this metal new metal saga project is cool i really like metal saga like it's a it's a very non-linear rpg that came out of ps2 and oh uh, when they say metal saga project do they actually mean like Metal Saga, the PS2 game. I like that one. Yeah, yeah. Metal, Metal Saga was the PS2 game. Yes. Wasn't there a game for the Super Nintendo as well that has a fan translation? There's a few Metal Max games for the Famicom, Super Famicom. Yeah. yeah so that, so that's... the thing is with Metal Saga that's weird is that the reason why they called it Metal Saga was because they couldn't use the name Metal Max at that time, but now they clearly can use Metal Max again. Because that's what they're calling these games, Metal Max. You know, I'm not exactly sure like what was the preventing it there. Um, you were probably just <laughs> about to say that. Yeah, you were about you were you were uh, probably just about to say this, but like Metal Saga, kind of similar to Romantic Saga Three that I was talking about earlier in the podcast. It quite all it quite literally also places you like on the map and just says like, "All right, uh, just pick a direction and go. Figure out what's going on." I mean. <laughs> Very, I mean you, you, I mean, before you get to that point, you can just end the game too because it starts off yeah. like, "Hey, like your protagonist, like uh, his mom or dad, I think his mom asks, like, hey, do you want to become adventurer? Adventurer, and you're like, you can say no, and then it'll just scroll credits, and like, there you go, you beat yeah. the game. That's it. <laughs> Thirty seconds. But yeah, it's a 
like you said, like it's very much, hey, you're here, go pick a direction and like go do stuff. Like you know, things will happen mm -hmm. along the way, and you have to be, you have to be not afraid of like just the, you know, the letting things. You kind of just have to. You have to. You, it does involve just a little bit of wandering and figuring out what to do. Which some people that maybe they just don't really want to do that. They want to just follow a storyline. But Metal Saga was definitely not that. So who knows if this new project will kind of take take you know inspiration from that i hope so i mean like i'd, I'd want to see like a spiritual successor or like uh to, to metal saga it is such a it's such a cool weird thing too it's uh i have fond memories of it in metal saga you, there's a spot there's a spot in it where you like fight like i forget if they're like zombified refrigerators or something it's pretty cool <laughs> yeah. well that kind of covers it for news of this week at least that i have listed um was there anything else like outside of the rpg space that people were interested in talking about or should we just start uh going off to sign offs sign offs i mean like the only, the only thing like left really is like there's like upcoming events like the uh later this week there'll be a, a square enix presents the spring 2021 showcase and they'll like uh, unveil a brand new life of strangers which is exciting and then they have other updates to you know like outriders is the upcoming rpg um you know, yeah this square enix presents is seems like it's more focused on like western square enix publishing uh so we'll have to see like how much of that actually falls into like our wheelhouse but yeah that'll be on um march 18th so obviously we'll keep an eye on that and discuss it next week Alan Wonderworld. world yeah yeah hopefully hopefully the uh the update <laughs> to battle world here is like we're delaying it indefinitely <laughs> we're gonna better. fix this thing <laughs> and then looking ahead a little bit further, there is a PlayStation Japan Play, Play, Play live stream, which they've already stated will feature Resident Evil 8 slash Village and Final Fantasy 7 Remake Intergrade. Now, that'll be on March 21st, so it'll be like the day after next week's podcast, so a little bit further out, but uh, we might see some more details about Final Fantasy there and maybe some surprises. We'll see. Play, Play, Play. All right. Well, that covers us for the Tetracast this week. A bit of a lighter week, but we still got, you know, two and a half hours out of it. So thank you, Lou Piro. Thank you, Kuro Nokoseki. You can always read any of the news stories that we talk about, as well as the reviews such as Noja on our website at RPGsite.net. You can follow us on Twitter at RPGsite. You can listen to any other episodes of the Tetracast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, and now YouTube. You can always visit our Discord channel by going to our homepage and clicking the link at the top. We also do post occasionally to YouTube at RPGSiteNet. And other than that, you'll hear from us next week. So until then, stay safe, take care, and we'll talk to you next time.